Escape from Plan A. So um, we, I figure we could make this one a little bit more. Uh, I, I want to talk about the thankful immigrant, the concept, mm-hmm. and how I think okay. that the thankful immigrant is something that is going to be a kind of a problem going forward, in my opinion. Yes. And uh, Jess, I think that's kind of where you are headed in this discussion, right? Was mm-hmm. that we've got to start rethinking our relationship with the immigrant identity. And um, is, is that kind of where well, you I were? Mean, your head was at? I mean, I, I forget exactly how we got to that point, but uh, I, I guess we were talking about like historically speaking, right? Like the thing that I always want to talk about that nobody seems to want to engage on is everyone just acts like the immigration act of 1965 happened out of either fucking nowhere or out of some largesse, Right. The expression of American nobility in the, in the middle of the 20th century, right? right. Opening its doors for the unwashed masses. Um, and you, it's, but it's hard. So that reading, you can actually defend that somewhat, right? But you can't talk about it without talking about what labor meant to America in that particular time period. Like socially speaking, there's no way that you can argue that 19, in 1965, America was less racist than it is right now, right? Um, so, but yet, uh, the same act, the same, you can't, you, it's impossible to think about that same act being passed now, right? And the only way to reconcile that difference is our, our differing relationship to labor and its, and, its, uh, and its associated effects on race and class. That's the only, that's, uh, so, and I think a lot of immig- like second gens get bogged down in the sense of guilt over, uh, over this, uh, this immigrant narrative, right? America threw open its doors and we were brought in out of the cold uh, to flourish here. And now we own houses and cars and we're doctors. Um, so it, it, it hobbles your ability to fully critique and take ownership of whatever's going on. And to me, I don't feel that because if you look at what exactly, what exactly that 1965 act was about, it's a very cut and dry transaction of labor. Nobody was talking about, about, you know, when you look at the notes for the Senate notes to debate this, this bill, nobody's really talking about like, Oh, this like they, they wrapped it up in pretty language of morality and justice and Liberty for all uh, in like the press releases. Right. But on the floor, it's a very, it's a very, very cut and dry uh, transaction here. We need fucking labor. We need high skilled labor and we are not able to train up enough people domestically uh, quickly and at cost to be able to meet this demand. Now we have we we have people over in Asia that we just can, we know exactly where what the state of that society is because we fucking bombed the shit out of it and took it over in large parts. Uh, we know we know what's there. If we allow the conditions to uh, to uh, if we permit the conditions for them to leave. Uh, leave their home countries and settle here. We it's it's kind of a win win. Uh, and teen, you talk about uh, you know brain drain. That is explicitly talked about on the fucking Senate floor in 1963 and 1964. 
Yeah, I, I think to shore, <laughs> up, to shore up the threat of a rising China that was rapidly consolidating as a nation state. Uh, likewise, for South Korea and Japan, the three East Asian countries that were targeted the, the most for this uh, the sort of free market driven brain drain. It's not it's not kidnapping. It's not hauling people away on boats. It's permitting market conditions to do their thing to draw labor towards capital. So once you do that, once you make, once you draw that conclusion, then it's like, well, we don't. What is there to be grateful for? We fulfilled on this promise. We came and did our shit. Yeah, like, I think the, I don't I feel the, any psychological baggage about this. Well, I think I mean I agree. I think the I think the re, I, I I gather we're in the podcast now. I think that um, which by the way, uh, before I respond, uh, we are doing this podcast using our Discord server. Uh, which is a really cool function that uh, in the future we should try this uh, more. So like we just jump into the discord. Like if you join the Patreon, you can get into the discord and we can just like do the podcast in the discord. I think that's pretty cool. But anyway, back to your point. Um, Yeah. I think the reason for the thankful immigrant, which is what I, what, what is an identity. Okay. Let's just describe the thankful immigrant, right? I think the thankful immigrant is uh, someone, it, it's someone who's embodied by Kizir Khan. I think, I think Kizir Khan is the, like the epitome of this identity. Kizir Khan, yes. if you remember, was the, he's a Pakistani American. His son, um, Humayun, I think is his name. I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Humayun was killed in 2004 serving in Iraq. He was, he was sent to Iraq as a soldier and was killed there. Now, Trump in 2015, I think 2016, uh, 2015 during the, the uh, during the campaign had said a lot of very homophobic uh, Islamophobic shit, right? And uh, Kizir Khan was asked to join the Democratic National Convention where they nominated Hillary Clinton uh, to basically <clears throat> shame Trump <clears throat> on national television. And I remember watching it. It was the by far the most electrifying part of the DNC. Uh, convention. Every, the rest of it was pretty scripted. Kizir Khan was kind of a surprise, and he goes up there with his wife and takes out a copy of the Constitution and says, "I'll lend it. Have you have you ever read this? Do you know what the Equal Protection Clause is, even is? What have you sacrificed? You sacrificed nothing. You've sacrificed. And he's talking to Trump." You sacrificed nothing, and I've sacrificed everything. I sacrificed my son. So don't tell me about, you know, this country, you know, whatever. And I remember thinking, like, that was a very powerful moment. Like, that's, I mean, it, it couldn't be more stark, this difference between, you know, Kazir Khan and a man who did sacrifice everything versus Trump, who sacrificed nothing. That's right. But then, I, you know, later I thought about it, and I said... And I thought, well, who's really benefiting from Kazir Khan, from Khan's sort of outspokenness here? It's Hillary Clinton. It was, he was out there, you know, kind of stumping for Hillary Clinton, basically. I mean, not to put too uh, insensitive a spin on it, but that's what he was there to do. What did Hillary Clinton ever, uh, what did she sacrifice? What, what does she know about it? In the sense that the things that she was blaming Trump for, uh, accusing him of having, you know, never, never having sacrificed. Well, what did she sacrifice? Well, in, in a way, it's even worse because she was actually, she actually voted for the war that ended up killing uh, Khan's right, son. His son, yeah. 
So it was kind of strange to me that he, he would go up there and stump for the person, the candidate that was actually much more uh, directly responsible for his, her, his son's death. And I think the reason we all know why he's there is because Trump's a racist. And Hillary Clinton would be very careful to not say those things. And I think Huma Abedin, who was probably slated to be her chief of staff and probably her closest friend, closest confidant, is herself Pakistani-American. And there's something inclusive, there's something anti-racist about the liberals that I think kind of obligates us as the non-white immigrants to support them, even though they in many ways are more exploitative of immigrants. And like you said, like we, they want our labor. They want us here to, you know, to join the military to, you know, to, to uh, program computers, to pick tomatoes, all the things that our economy needs us to do, or our, our military needs us to do. They expect us to do it. And not only that, they expect us to be thankful for it because unlike the other side, they're not racists. And yes, yeah, it stifles it. a ton of critique. It, it, you cannot push back on anything under the, under that uh, under that principle of the grateful immigrant. When it's a labor transaction, look, if you're getting stiffed on your wages, if your working conditions are unfair, if it's understood as a labor transaction, then uh, then fighting against unjust working conditions is a, is is morally uh and rationally justified right you can understand this kind of fight if it's oh my god why are they so ungrateful when we just fucking let them in right that stifles any 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 attempt to uh remediate any wrongs committed against you yeah, so but we're, that's, this but is almost worse i agree it is worse but the thing is i mean as immigrants we're kind of, uh, well, I'm not really an immigrant. I'm the son of immigrants, but immigrants are um, caught between, I think, two dominant political sensibilities. And one of them is kind of out of the question. I mean, I don't think an immigrant can be a Trump supporter. Yeah, it, right? just, it just means that there is yeah. no cover. There is no good, not racist, Im- pro, truly pro-immigrant or pro, uh, you know, non non upper middle class white uh party i mean i think i think you know in 2015 i supported hillary clinton specifically because of this i i did think carefully about whether to support bernie or to support hillary and um mark you remember we were we yeah. were uh we we threw together a uh fundraiser uh, uh we worked with uh, varun over at aapi victory fund which mm-hmm. This year endorsed uh, Biden. Joe uh, Biden. I guess that, that's really not that different than them having endorsed yeah. Hillary back then. So that's true. You know, I that's mean, true. they're at least consistent. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not I mean, they're endorsing Biden. the VP, you know, Obama's VP. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, right. And uh, before that, it was Obama's secretary of state. Right. I mean, it's all it's all right. the same. It's all the same group, you know. And um, but I remember thinking carefully about this and I didn't trust Bernie on immigration because and I still don't. I still don't trust him on immigration in the sense that, you know, I think that we're heading back towards a more uh, World War II or pre-war era version of liberalism, FDR liberalism. In fact, they say it, right? I mean, right, the Green New Deal and stuff like that. Green New right. Deal, 
Well, and a lot of Bernie <laughs> supporters uh, make open references to him being the new FDR, right? Uh, like, oh, oh, okay. And this should be that, this should be more of a this should be more of a uh, warning light flashing than it is because I don't think we've properly processed uh, F- FDR and the New Deal. You know, now that we're almost a century out from it. Um, so I don't think, so I, when we talk about this, yeah, we should go all the way back to that and probably before that too, uh, mm-hmm. all the way back to, you know, Roosevelt one, even, um, <laughs> old, old Teddy, but let's, let, let's just, um, let's just, let's just, I mean, take FDR. You're talking about the guy that interned the Japanese. You're talking about the guy that worked extra hard to suppress any Jewish refugees from escaping Nazi Germany to, to America, because he was like you would expect from, you know, a sort of pro-labor, pro-union kind of guy, a liberal in the pre-Kennedy sense of the word, um, where they were really concerned about things like fighting poverty, workers' rights. That sounds like in this day and age, that sounds like part of the good side. That sounds like part of the, there's the good and then there's the evil. And I'm not saying that, of course, that workers' rights and being pro-union and all these things are evil, but I just think that you need to be care- we need to be careful because that always comes, I think, with a healthy dose of racism and especially xenophobia because labor is not a fan of immigration. And that's not an issue of, I don't think that's an issue of necessarily the politics of the working class, but that immigration, like you said, Jess, it's inherently meant to put pressure on labor. This is yeah. the only reason we let immigrants in is because yeah. we want to add to the pool of labor. There's really no other real reason for it. That, that that's you know? yeah. I mean, and I think that's something that people like to gloss over because they'll always go to like the poem on the Statue of Liberty, you know, bring us your huddled masses. Well, that's because like the country was growing and we needed people. Right. It wasn't yeah, because it was, was always like, right to control but, but, the, the tide of labor coming in right. and out of the country. Right. Uh, like, OK, one one difference I want to make clear is uh, I feel people get a little disingenuous talking about the uh, eliding the difference between refugees and immigrants. Um, I understand that there is a clear difference, but I think we've all seen the kind of disingenuous thing that happens where to defend or oppose immigration. We talk about refugees. Um, the conditions that that create refugees, and then vice versa, and then also treating refugees like immigrants to uh, to uh, kind of push back on the thought of, of admitting refugees, like refugees, and like in the discourse that it gets muddled, and which what you say or how you say it just depends on um, what your specific uh, what you're trying to not say out loud, really. Um, so immigrant immigration, uh, I'm talking about more, um, like they exist on a spectrum, like everything seems to to do, but immigration has less of a, um, imminent danger aspect to it for me. So while there, we're still talking about the flow of labor and capital against inequalities that creates, uh, vacuums. Uh, immigration is something like, you know, the story, uh, the story of, uh, my parents, where it's more about maximizing opportunities for individuals, given the conditions on the ground, uh, than it is about, holy shit, I, uh, they're gunning, you know, they are one village over and if they get here, I am dead, right? That's, 
that's a rough way that I think about immigration versus um, being a refugee. Well, that's if we so think about t- it solely t- in the Asian context, because I know yes. like, you know, Viet Thanh Nguyen likes to draw this distinction between I'm a refugee, not one of these, you know, immigrants that had a choice in the matter. Uh, I don't think it's that clear. I think that well, he can a lot keep of- sipping his mojito in Manhattan Beach. I think he yeah. should sit down on this issue. Yeah, he, he's been um, really shitty lately on Twitter. Like he just says dumb shit. And uh, I don't know. There's something weird about him uh, anyway. But he does draw this distinction. I think there's a distinction to be drawn, but it's not that clear. It's not. First of all, it's not as if all refugees were running away from a machine gun first. It's yes. a category by which you can elect to uh, receive per- like receive permanent status here um but it's not like you literally you i mean yes in some cases it was people running onto ships and you know uh coming you know escaping by boat to america but you can immigrate here under refugee status or asylum status um so so it's not that clear and a lot of immigrants are also leaving some pretty bad conditions that are caused by things like war and dislocation but they come here as immigrants. You come here however you can. And I think, for example, like people on the southern border coming in, walking up through Guatemala or whatever, some of them are coming here with temporary worker visas. So they're immigrants. They're not refugees. They're not asylum seekers. Until the moment they seek legal status as asylum, then they're refugees. But they're, they're coming here for the same fundamental reasons, right? So I, I just don't buy that there's a totally special category called refugees that's totally out of the, you know, that, that, that's a separate conversation. No, I mean, well, I it's, think- a, it's a political expedient. Uh, let's let's mm-hmm. face it. Um, that gets that quickly dissolves, like you say, when you get into the actual legalities and the specifics. Um, so it is it is a very porous distinction. Um, but for the most part, I think what I'm talking about here is what we commonly think of as immigration. Um, right. There's a there's an element of like choice and it yes. was an option and I took an option. It was a risk. There was some danger, but I could have stayed where I was and been OK ish. Yeah, because this plays into the grateful immigrant narrative. Um, mm-hmm. Right. But we do call it the grateful. Im- we are calling it the grateful immigrant. I think there is a reason. I think for that's that. a good term. Yes. One of it is um, one of it is if you dare speak up, uh, what's the most common line you're going to you're going to get as pushback? Well, you know, if it's so bad here. Go back. Go back. Yeah. Right. There is an element of pr- of presumed choice here that also stifles uh, discussion or any kind of consideration. Um, so, I mean, it's something that you wouldn't deploy to talk about, say, refugees, right? Uh, I mean, in fact, you know, when you talk about, uh, like, like the horrible abuse that Ilhan Omar faces on social media, right? I mean, what, what does she get the most? Just wave after wave of people just telling her to go the fuck back, uh, to Somalia (laughs) if she, if it's so bad here, right? And that has a silencing. Like nobody actually really knows how to counter that effectively. That's this is the one thing that I kept noticing. And, and, yeah, even I mean, the people it's who the same, it's to, a similar thing supporting to adoptees, right? Yes, um, I um, guess I'm the the one immigrant <laughs> on the pod. But like it, we adoptees get that thrown at us all the time. Anyone complains about what happened or the fact that like you know we're we're people of color too, for the most part. If we're talking about international adoption, they'll say you know you're an ungrateful adoptee. You should be grateful that we took you from the country where you were from 
and we raised you. And there, it's very hard, I think, for people to counter that. How do you counter that? Um, and the way you counter that to me yeah. is just saying, look, uh, it wasn't an act of charity that I'm that I find myself uh, here in this country. Uh, I guess I should make it. Uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not an immigrant either. I was born to immigrant parents. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, we're all chinks here, right? Of course. Uh, so. But the way to counter that is saying, like, look, dumbass, there was a very cut and dry transaction that that occurred. Um, and I don't mean to say, like, you need to, like, whip out the Senate notes for the debates over the 1965 uh, Immigration Act to people who were just telling you to go back home. Like, like, no, don't don't do that. I, I think this is just more for people who feel silenced by that, uh, by that, uh, uh, that, uh you know, pushback to just, just go back home if you don't fucking like it here so much. It's, you know, we came here for a reason. We came here to work. This was no act of charity. This was no act of uh, noblesse oblige. I think it's, you're able to spin that, you're able to retcon that now as a, as a, as a sign of liberalism, but that's just more to me, a sign of just how degraded things have gotten since then. Um, we came here to work and we did it. Like that. This is this is how this is what gives uh, what gives us the right to. Uh, I mean, we don't need to do that to have the right to do that. But this makes it completely outside the realm of morality. We came here to work. You promised us this. Have not got that. So fuck you. Okay, but let, okay. Let's apply this to Kizir Khan for a sec because I think that might kind of make it clear a little bit clear what you mean. Because Kizir Khan, I mean, let let's let's war is kind of like the ultimate labor. Right. Yes. And mm-hmm. He literally, I mean, when you labor, you sacrifice time, parts of your life. Right. Um, when you labor for when you fight, I mean, you're literally sacrificing yourself. That's literally what he did. In a way, it's it's like a it's like an extreme version of um, of the labor. Now, so what do you how would this apply to to Khan? And and what I'm what I'm thinking is. That, at least for me, is that Khan is was still, in a sense, operating under gratitude that his family was given the opportunity to make sacrifices for America. Like he wasn't demanding that America be thankful for his son. He was almost in a weird, in a in a in a sense that almost disturbed me, saying that he was thankful for the opportunity to have sacrificed his son for this country. It was very strange. Yes, Yes, you're right. And not only, and and I think that that is fully embodied by the fact that he's stumping for a candidate that is directly responsible for his death rather than the, you know, the, the other candidate, the, the racist Trump, who actually was kind of lukewarm about support for the war. I think he did support the war, but he's never, you know, what one, he didn't hold office. So he didn't, he didn't vote for it. Well, he has no influence. Of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's Hillary who directly supported the war. Uh, so I just, you know, I think it's a, it's an example of the thankful immigrant being a kind of masochistic um, identity. And I can't, I can't say I don't understand Khan. I can't say that I'm not moved by him. I don't I can't even necessarily say he's wrong in a way, but I would say that in in a, in this political environment where I think we are definitely switching back towards labor protectionism. I think we are moving back towards an older form of liberalism 
as embodied by the democratic socialist movement. Um, and I, and maybe we could talk about the fact that, you know, we're seeing the likes of Joe Rogan uh, endorsing him and this, the, the liberal, the, the sort of establishment liberals looking at the Demsoc movement and saying, oh, this is a very, you know, this is transphobic. This is misogynistic. This is racist. This is, you know, th- these are all the anti-liberal crude, you know, the crudeness of, of everything the liberals are against. That as we're moving back towards that kind of thing, I think xenophobia and anti-immigrant sentiment are going to come back to the forefront. And the question for me is for the immigrants and the sons of immigrants and daughters of immigrants who have internalized very deeply, I think, the identity of the thankful immigrant. I mean, I definitely have, whereas I, I couldn't immediately tell the, the weirdness of what was going on on that, on that stage with Khan um, and the irony of it. My question is, where do what happens to these people to us th- those who have internalized the thankful immigrant narrative as we see potentially and i think most likely a liberal movement that is going to pay probably pay some lip service to the idea of immigration but for the most part it's going to be pretty um xenophobic i like, want to add two things here uh, like i really want to challenge the unquestioned notion of immigrant as a as a as a positive un, un 100 unalloyed positive here how dare and there's you. a lot of how dare well you. there's a lot well, no, and i say that because i think that is going to be the immediate reaction of people yes, who say that yes. yeah how fucking so, dare you we're all immigrants right Right. So I'll, I'll, I'll take the heat for that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just just like hear me out here. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. Like there's a of lot course. of liberal racism embedded in that. Like what was notable to me is uh, 2015. Um, like I actually I, like I live in Los Angeles. Um, I was I was out walking and I came across a fair sized uh, Bernie Sanders rally here in L.A. I mean, nobody gives a shit about California. Right. Because, you know it's California. So it was kind of notable to me that there was a rally of that size. So I just kind of hung out on the fringes to see what's going on. Uh, And then uh, like almost immediately, these two like middle-aged white women um, approached me. I don't know if their race is necessarily uh, relevant to the story, but I'm throwing it in there anyway. Um, And they immediately started like, you know, started pitching Sanders to me, like asking me who I'm voting for, you know, what my inclinations are and kind of like, like, and then, but it was odd that they kept on hammering this whole, like Sanders is good, not just Sanders is good, but Sanders is good for you. And I'm like, okay, this is fun. Okay. Let's see where, let's see where, where this really goes. Um, and then the more I kind of like held back, the more like their racism actually kind of showed because they got a little fear mongery on me and like, okay, if if Trump gets elected, they're going to send you back to China. What? Like, yeah, like it got to that point. Like, and I I understand the reaction. Uh, I understand the reaction I was supposed to give like, oh my God, holy fuck, not China. Oh my God. Where do I sign? (laughs) Like a yeah. Jesus Christ! Like is yeah, Sanders going to save me from the horror yeah. of mean, the the sending me back to China? Fear, yeah, yeah, and it's like, like, dumbass. No, um, China's going to just send me back, right? right. For one thing, <laughs> and B, China's fucking nice. <laughs> China was fucking nice when I last went. So if I got kicked out of the U.S. to go get sent to China, there could actually be worse things. 
Mark, Mark um, is this something that yeah. people ever level against transracial adoptees that like if, you know, either jokingly or whatever, mm-hmm. like if you don't behave like we're, you know, someone we're going to have to send you back or, or anything like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure that happens. Like we like the, there are stories that I've heard of people who, you know, their their families are just awful. You know, they'll just say things that you would you're like, you know, we'll send you back. You're not real. You know, our real kids, all that sorts of garbage. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's funny because it's like, yeah, okay, send me back to Korea. I, and I know that, like, there have been adoptees that get deported and it's really, really hard for them. But overall, like, it's not like we're being sent back to, you know, a country that's awful. Like, um, so, yeah. It, well, it's it not gets... even like the material practice. It's not about, like, what the country actually is. It's it's right. that you know what it's supposed to represent. It's supposed to represent some hell that you oh, are absolutely. you are being expected to fight very hard to not be sent to. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, um, and I'm, so I'm that's the important to, part here. Yeah. And I'm completely sympathetic to people who are fearful of that, right? Because, you know, they feel America is their home and they don't want to go to another country. I mean, um, it is their home, so that's right. so the horror yeah, exactly. is actually different. It's not about right. not wanting to go back to Cambodia or Korea. It's no, just it's, you know why are you trying I, to keep I'm, me out I'm of my home, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So, but but I think it's despicable for um, you know white people or any sort of like liberal person to be like you know you better vote for our slightly you know more genteel racist um, or the straight out racist will just you know kick you out of the country like. The fact that they're adoptees without citizenship and they were adoptees deported, you know, back to Korea and and other countries under liberals, right? Under Obama. Like, it's not like if you have an Obama or a Hillary, shit like that's not going to happen. So, you know, I I find it very offensive for the Sanders people to be like, Sanders will protect you. Um, Like, shit's been happening under Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, liberals, everybody. So like, fuck off of that. I'm trying, I'm trying to point out that things are just not that cut and dry when it comes to, no, they're not, you know, as, as immigrants or as children of immigrants, people who care about this issue, it's just not, I think so easy to say there's a pro immigrant sensibility in this America that's liberal and that that's the good side and that there's an anti-immigrant xenophobic racist side of America. And that's the bad side. Now, if, if the choice is Hillary and Trump, then I think that that kind of stands up because I don't think Trump is any better on any issue than Hillary was. Sure. That's my, that's my opinion. Okay. Uh, But I just don't see him being any better on in any dimension. Right. But when it comes to someone like Sanders versus like Sanders versus Clinton, um, which is the, which is another choice that we were confronted with in 2015. And we're kind of being confronted against again with now in the primary, the sort of Clintonian style of liberalism Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that it's not so easy because I think the pro immigrant side of that tends to be a lot more right wing. I mean, Sanders voted against the war. He was a congressman at the time, but he voted against the war. Hillary voted for it. I think that Hillary's base would definitely be less tolerant of what you would call racist, transphobic people and misogynists than I think the Bernie bros would be. And I think that a lot of the liberal sensibilities that we've come to rely upon as non-white people uh, or, or as immigrants 
is actually associated with a kind of right wing politics that is very pro cap, you know, pro capital, pro war and anti labor. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. a lot of the more crude, racist, sexist, just overall like social, you know, the, the Howard Stern kind of people, the Joe Rogan kind of people, the Jim Rome kind of people are working class roughnecks, blue collar, and they're often racist and, and sexist and say crude things. And they're probably going to say something about you being Asian or something like that. You but know? also pro-labor. But also pro-labor. Like- and yeah. and yeah. usually very anti-war. They would not have supported Khan going to war and getting killed. Do you know what I mean? Like these aren't these aren't uh, these aren't incongruous, right? There, it's not like oh, I don't know why this would be. There's actually a really really clear reason. There are clear and uh, rational reasons for these for this to unravel the way it does. Uh, This is, I think, the trap of uh, let's say let's call it the elite liberals. Uh, to to just throw their hands up and say I don't know why they're just voting against their own interests. Like no, like if you just if you was if you start with the assumption that people are actually rational, and just and just think about issues from there, it actually starts to make a lot more sense. Um, if you're pro labor, right, it means uh, try. Like maybe we should talk about what pro labor, pro immigrant, what what these various like slogans actually mean. Uh, like to me, when I say I, I didn't, I don't think I got to finish my other point about you know. Oh, sorry about, about that. Immigration. No, no, no. I just I derailed myself. Um, <laughs> not thinking that immigration was necessarily a cut and dry good, uh, because immigration and uh, especially you know refugees, right? They're created because of horrible things happening back home. And if you look at if you just stop, uh, if you stop, if you just t- stop a minute to take a look at what's going on, then this means that the U S in particular has had a hand in the destruction of these homelands to a great degree, either by outright hot war, a cold war sanctions, all of that creating this gradient of inequality that drives uh, human migration uh, to one, to one degree or, or another. So what does it mean to actually be pro-immigrant? If you're pro-war, if you're pro-foreign interventionism, pro-sanctions, and you console yourself by saying, we'll allow some of those people to come to America, your politics is incomplete, right? You don't don't have the stand. I don't think, to me, that does not qualify as being truly pro-immigrant. Because to me, pro-immigrant in this situation is actually creating fewer immigrants to begin with. And I think as Asians, as second-generation Asians, we have, and first-generation Asians, we have, uh, we have the ability to speak on this. Immigration is traumatic, right? It's, yeah. it's a yeah, horrible yeah. uprooting, a discontinuation of culture and history that can never be repaired or recovered, right? And, not, uh, fully, and no. we, yeah. not fully, and, and uh, yeah. I mean, not fully and uh, not ever, honestly. Uh, yeah. I'm fluent in Korean. I have, I have wonderful parents. I have stayed in close contact with my family in Korea. I am not Korean. Yeah. I just am not. Uh, and no generation that succeeds me will even be able to enjoy that strong connection as I was able to enjoy as well. So functionally, that, that, this is a, you know, a genetic and historical discontinuity that breaks thousands of years uh, of history in Korea. And I'm just, I'm just here now. Like, like, what the fuck? Right? It's traumatic. But then the narrative about immigration on the liberal side is always, you know, these brown people waving American flags and weeping and celebrating that they have a washer and dryer, right? Like, 
no. The real pro-immigrant is actually fixing the material conditions that necessitate immigration to begin with. So to me, pro-immigrant is actually pro-restitution, right? Instead of saying yeah. we're going to open borders and just allow all the brown people to come in, it's more, well, maybe we should stop uh, crushing Central America. Maybe we try that. Maybe we start overturning democratically elected uh, governments in South America. It will everywhere, right? Where, where hasn't mm -hmm. the U.S. intervened? Right. So to me, pro-immigrant starts there. It doesn't think, start just at the border and then talks about how, how we're, we're happy to see brown people making us uh, making us tacos. Yeah. And I think pro-immigrant also, well, generally speaking, the the um, we should start from saying that immigration policy set from very up on high. We're talking by the president or we're talking by Congress. Right. And so this is not pro-immigrant is something that's decided by the most powerful people in this country that's not really dependent on like general sentiment, right? So it's policy. Whether, whether this country is pro-immigrant or anti-immigrant is largely policy. And that what that entails, I think, is this need to constantly create a sort of labor underclass. It, it, like, remember that guy that killed himself at Facebook? recently yes. the chinese guy mm -hmm. yeah and then do you remember like there was you know um a, a group of chinese employees that wanted to like you know say something about it and maybe you know i think they had created like a memorial for him and stuff and they were all threatened by facebook to shut it down mm -hmm. uh and it's because they treat their h1b tech tech lead has done videos on this about how when he was at Facebook, he saw that they treated their H-1B visa holder computer programmers with PhDs or whatever like absolute shit. He called them slaves, right? And he didn't call them wage slaves. He just called them slaves. Now, I, look, I'm not saying that that's necessarily the right term, but that's how strongly he felt about it. And I think that well, pro-immigrant... I mean, that's an interesting... I want to break in there. I know I'm interrupting you, but mm -hmm. this is, I think, uh, hopefully worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, there was an interesting tweet that I think you guys must have seen. It was getting... It was doing pretty good numbers. Uh, talking about... It was uh, talking about um, the term wage slavery. And this oh, was right. a, this I was an interesting... I, I think I yeah, saw this it's, one, yeah. It's, yeah, a tweet saying, the fact that wage slavery uh, exists as a term is a sign of how racist socialists are in America. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so fucking, uh, yeah, it's just ridiculous. Um, and it's, uh, it's like, how well, dare huh. you minimize the history that socialists actually always talk about? Uh, <laughs> uh, so, something like that. And it's like, so like, it's not to compare to the horrific history of black uh, slavery in America. Right. Chattel right? slavery. Yeah chattel slavery um yeah. but not like but we are talking about a global system of labor and inequality mm -hmm. <laughs> right mm -hmm. that has been that has been with us look like everyone has been a victim of this system right throughout human history i, I don't like how white people just assume that they were always at the top for, forever right mm -hmm. right like no you bitches were slaves too at various points in your history right like let's not let's not let's not pretend that any one of us has access to some unblemished history that tends to default to some genetic superior uh supremacist yeah. thinking if you, if you drill right down to it like no we've all been victims of slavery uh, we've all been at the top we've all been at the bottom at various points in human history so 
that aside, you know, like, so yeah. it's not to minimize that. It's just to tap into a larger historical picture of what labor relations have been like. Right. Um, yeah. So I just thought that was an interesting little Twitter micro uh, tempest in a teacup. Anyway. Yeah. Well, and, and that guy got ratioed anyway. Uh, but for, <laughs> for the, um, I mean, regarding what TechLead was saying, I mean, I think, it, it, that is pro-immigrant, right? Pro-immigrant is to say, like, we want these, you know, what pro, the, the dream of pro-immigrants and like Andrew Yang is pro-immigrant with his 18-year timeline for someone to, to, to naturalize. You know, well, actually, I was going to bring re- him up too, specific to H-1Bs. Yeah, we should um, talk about Andrew continue. Yang. But like what we really yeah. want in this country, the pro-immigrant, you know, side of things is we want there to be a, you know, insecure uh Mm -hmm. legally unprotected layer labor layer to society that is here contingently it is here you know as we need them they don't have access to rights the same way we do so they don't for example if you vote for andrew yang no non-citizen will receive his ubi but guess but guess who pays taxes to fund that ubi non-citizens as well right um, and so the idea of pro-immigra- pro-immigration, I think if you take it to some of its logical extremes, is going to look a lot like the UAE. It's going to look like Dubai and Abu Dhabi, these places where citizens are like one to 2% of the population and the rest of society is literally like, you know, immigrant labor because the people who live as citizens of Abu Dhabi or Dubai there's not enough of them and they're all loaded rich. They're not going to be doing the dirty work, right? So what you want to do is you want people to come into your country and do the work, but you don't want them to like suddenly become equal citizens, right? Which is what, why we have these H1B visa programs, which is why we have, we're talking, when we talk about immigration reform, what it is, is to strike a bargain with the far right that wants to kick them all out now to say, okay, okay, look, look, look. Let us keep them, but let's put them on an 18-year timeline. One fuck up and they're gone, promise. And that 18-year timeline is like one fuck up and you're gone. How much abuse would you have to take in order to finally get that carrot? 18 years worth. I mean, that's ridiculous. And that's Andrew Yang. So that is, I, I that think is, we have to really rethink what prominent means, you know? Yes, we do. And one of them, A, is you know talking about the quantity, number of immigrants, right? Uh, I think this is where a lot of open borders style uh, uh, pro-immigrant people fall into some dangerous kinds of racism because it means we we can just bomb the shit out of whoever. It it kind of absolves you of complicity in supporting that by saying, well, the ones who are still alive, right, we'll take some of them in. Um, And just there's always a presumed assumption that that where they're coming from is a total shithole. and it's like, well, fuck you. Uh, and the second one, uh, it's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be the case that being pro-labor and being uh, slightly more closed systems in your thinking is necessarily racist. Uh, like, there are ways to thread this needle that don't have to devolve into either. I don't see it as a necessarily, I think, because some of it is a, is a natural consequence of uh, these tentpole issues that you want to stand for, right? If you want to be pro-labor, it does require some bargaining power at the table. 
to negotiate. This does require uh, some level of uh, restriction of the labor pool. Uh, this is an uncomfortable thing that I don't think Sanders uh, wants to address in some of his in his platforms. I, and his campaign is uh, notably quiet on discussions uh, on that particular dimension. Uh, if we're pushing towards a more socialist state or policies that emulate socialist uh, policies, we're a long ways from actually implementing socialism. So I'm not worried about that. Um, there is a necessary discussion that we need to have about, in that case, who is within this closed system uh, that we are serving with expanded services, uh, with this expanded protectionism by the state. Well, well we know it's going to be citizens. Right. Yes. I mean, it's always going to come down to the question of do non-citizens get access to the question that they, the first question that everyone asks Andrew Yang is do non-citizens get UBI? And the answer is no. The first the big question that people have asked Sanders about Medicare for all is does it apply to non-citizens? And they've been, I think, kind of flip floppy. It's not that clear where he stands. I know a lot of Bernie supporters, we have have said, no, he you know, he's 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 said publicly that he supports Medicare for everyone in the country. But I don't think I may I could be wrong, but I don't have not seen him say specifically that he wants his plan to cover non-citizens. I can maybe answer that a little bit just coming from the health policy side. This is this is my training and background. uh The answer that is no, you can't. Uh, the fuzzier answer to that is yes, we kind of can for a while. The current spending on healthcare in the U.S. means yeah, we can we can afford we can technically afford to provide coverage and and at least stable base healthcare um, to everyone currently within our borders. We can triple that number and still provide that given our current spending. However, if we're going to move towards Medicare for all, that spend is going to go down. Right. There is going right. to be reform and, and just, of the system. Just, just, just so everyone's then, clear, non-citizens, legal permanent residents or, you know, people here on a work visa or whatever, you're still going to have to pay taxes into the Medicare for all. <laughs> you're still going to have to yes. help us pay for it. You just won't receive the benefits. I mean, everyone should yes. be clear about that. Yes. No matter yeah. like that's just that's just how it is going to be. Um. And given given the way healthcare has to be delivered in your system like that, um, no, we won't be able to provide it for an unlimited number of uh, newcomers to the country. That's not that's just not how this works. A, it's not it's not even about the numbers. I think when people start to question it, it, the immediate thing that people get hung up on is just the numbers of people. What can be the burden of non-citizens on the system to make it still financially feasible? The the answer to that right now is quite a few. Just that's just how outrageous our spend is. Uh, but B, once that number comes on in line with uh, with actual reality, uh, the num- that number shrinks. Um, and the big thing, one of the big things in California that keeps that keeps the healthcare system in havoc is uh, actually uncertainty, uh, uncertainty of uh, load on the system. It's not even a, it's not it's not it's really not the number of people. It's the uncertainty of what the load is going to be at any given place at any given time. Mm-hmm. So at the very, very least, we need to know who is inside the country. Uh, this already gets me banned from open border style people who say that I'm just I'm just a supporter for uh, fascist ICE policies and throwing kids in cages. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is when it gets right down to it, we cannot provide Medicare for all to everyone at all times. People talk, well, I went to England for a broken leg. Well, no, I was in England and had a broken leg and they billed me 20 bucks. Well, 
England can account for that because the number of the load on that system and the unpredictability of that load is very small. It's a fundamentally different population than what we have in the United States. Yeah, when we're talking so, about people, well, vast, vast numbers of migrant workers with poor health working under really bad conditions, a lot of, you know, like that's going to put a lot of load, especially in areas yes. that already don't have a lot of medical services. Right. Yes. So the thing in California, and I actually helped, you know, build the numbers for this for one of California's biggest, uh, biggest healthcare providers is uh, just 50,000 people in, Cal- in the state of California that we cannot account for generates a tremendous amount of uh, burden on, on the healthcare system. It creates havoc. It means staffing is uh, staffing is unpredictable, uh, you know, uh, cr- crowding in these systems, uh, all of that becomes so unpredictable that it creates a huge amount of drag on the system. And that's just 50,000 people mm-hmm. in all of California, right? Um, so expand, expand that to the entire country, and you can kind of get a sense for uh, what, how disastrous Medicare for All could be without some grip on who is coming in and out of the country at any given point in time. Um, I know people are listening to this and be like, wow, Jess, you're a fucking xenophobe. I'm really trying hard to convey the fullness of my thinking on this because that's not what I'm getting at here. It's simply that there is a lot of wishful thinking attached to the Sanders campaign uh, that we, that he will that he will not be able to deliver on because this is just the reality of what is required. If we are pushing towards socialism, we are also pushing towards a more closed system. Uh, for population. It requires well, a sense of collectivism, so it becomes more of a concern who is within and outside of this collective. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I know you've done all the, you've done much more, you know, analysis on this, but I mean, you, you know, you, you saying that the UK is a, is a different system, that they have a different country, different population, but it still goes to, you know, I could still go there and get service and pay 20 bucks. Like, you know, yeah, can 50,000 can 50,000 Americans break their knees? Yeah, no, I mean, I don't I'm just saying that I think that if we do, yes, obviously, Medicare for all cannot happen just with a, you know, snap of the finger. A, A lot of different things have to change. And I agree that Bernie Sanders and his his campaign uh, very purposefully sort of are um, vague on those changes. Um, but, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, yeah, it, you know, we need to make sure that, you know, we, we don't create this. Well, we already have this underclass, but we don't perpetuate this going forward. And I think that people do. Um, I, I'm concerned when, when people talk about, you know, closing the borders or, or not closing them, but um, making them less porous is that it's just cover talk for treating people poorly. And I know obviously you're not for that, Jess, but I think a lot of the people who've talked, who've said similar things to what you're saying are those people who put people in cages. So yeah, it's, fuck them. Yeah. That's not, know? this is the, like, this is not the time to be uh, like, yeah, fuck them. They're monsters. Uh, like fuck them. <laughs> Seriously, there's oh, no I know other, that you said. I, no, I'm just, you know, I, I no, think I don't, that, I'm just so expressing. So if it can the, be used, that it can be used to provide cover for them is not is not a reason to not say it. Uh, uh, agreed, and in fact, agreed. um, 
I mean, and I mean, he's an interesting factoid, right? Like, why do we always assume that immigrants want to stay? Right. That's true. Uh, mo- most do not. Uh, most, yeah. um, like, let, let, let's take like Mexican immigrants that come here to do. Seasonal yeah, I work. want to talk about that because they, they're, uh, here, a- they're here to send money back home. They don't want to. A lot of them don't want to bring their families. Uh, yeah. Their their ideal is to come here, make some money part of the year, and then go back home. Yeah, right. And I think there should be there. Sh- I, I think we we've completely forgotten about that. And I think this is a this is a liberal and conservative racism kind of colluding to create this blind spot. Uh, I was uh, like, I have Malcolm Gladwell to thank for this, for bringing this uh, to light when he did um, when he did an episode of his podcast on this issue, uh, talking about border policies in the, you know, uh, ar- around mid-century, right? Right around the time of the 1965 Immigration Act and the rise of ICE, right? In Or what, what led to what is the current incarnation of ICE back in like the 70s and 80s, right? Uh, it was a really interesting point. Talking about like basically like for all of you know American history up till that point, um, we basically had an open border, right? People he talks about people who talk about uh, like uh, Mexicans from the other side of the border who basically go into the states for seasonal or even just daily labor and go home, right? And this was a recognized uh, this was a recognized phenomenon. Farmers would farmers and uh, uh, like. do people who uh, ranchers, farmers and ranchers, uh, would just expect to hire migrant laborers um, during uh, during the the high season, and then they would just go home for the rest of the year? And this was the preferred. Everyone preferred this arrangement. Uh, this was just understood. Nobody actually wanted to just come here and stay here. The re- when immigration started becoming a problem was a giant racist who decided to tighten up border security. So then people who migrated, it became too risky to just migrate for the season. So you would just have to move permanently. Yeah. I mean, so dumb, 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 so dumbass Americans also think that like all Mexicans and Hispanic people that are here that speak Spanish, like snuck across the border. No, like we <laughs> took their land. Like, yeah. They, yeah, there's a reason why like every town in the, the US was Southwest is like spanish name you know like yeah. they, a lot of a lot of communities that we assume are immigrant communities were just nah. communities that we took over uh, yeah. So, yeah i mean yeah. eva longoria um i think when she got fed up with some racism you know trying to push that grateful immigrant narrative on her uh and she was having none of it and she responded to pushback so they say like look bitch i didn't move across the border the border moved across me right right, right. Exactly. so yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so it's an interesting thing to think about, like in in creating this non-porous, hyper-policed border, we actually created this so-called immigrant crisis because we made it too risky for people to just come in, earn their monies, go home. And this is and there's no charity involved here. That means that the U.S. gained in labor and the laborers were paid and then they went home. So you fucking giant racist who wants to cl- lock up the border. They were already doing that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were already doing that. It's by you policing the border that made it difficult for them to return home. So they're just fucking stuck here. And uh, lo and behold, here we are. No one is happy with this arrangement. Who would have thought? Right. So, so what I'm saying, I want to, I want to think about how to be actually pro-immigrant. This is all encompassing, like, like maybe not all immigrants actually wanted to be here to begin with. So it's doubly horrific to create the conditions that made it harder for them to actually go home and then to vilify them for that. 
Well, I think pro-immigrant to me is like, for me personally, is that I would like to see more immigration from Asia into America because I like the social transformations that come with it. And I think a lot of immigrants are taught to yeah, the feel got that great. We, we don't want that. Like, we don't want to disrupt what's here or you can't really say that. But no, I, I, I like the fact that Los Angeles is so Asian right now and that it's transforming the uh, culture there. Uh, I think it's for the better. And that's a dangerous well, I want to thing talk about to that then people, too. But, uh, because it's, yeah. it talks about but the I, I would say for me, space. when you say what is pro-immigrant, that's to me how I feel of pro-immigrant is I would like to see more people from Asia immigrating here. Um, that's just how I feel. That's my okay. pro-immigrant feeling, you know? Well, um, I want to talk about that too, because if we want to contrast, you know, Asian immigration and say Hispanic immigration, you can kind of see the class schism that, um, that the, the class schism that opens up in thinking about immigration. Right. So, uh, teen, you're right. I live in Los Angeles. It's been fantastic to see, um, the Asian, uh, terraforming of Los yeah. Angeles. <laughs> uh, bring more Latinos in too. bring them in uh, yeah. more. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, this is this is I consider that a success story, but it's highly class bound to issues of class. For the most part, it's wealthy uh, Asian money, wealthy Asian people that are ex- welcomed into the United States as investors uh, to be able to put down roots. Uh, I mean, the cost is high to be that to be that kind of immigrant. Uh, um, I'm not a big fan we- of the Florida coming here and stuff, but I, you know, like the the more Asian people I see um sort of like look someone's got to open the restaurant someone's got to work at the restaurant someone's got to you know do there's a lot of in the enclaves it's like someone's got to do all the dirty work um I, I i like that i like i don't want to just see a bunch of rich kids coming here in their fucking ferraris or whatever i hate that i i wish that well, that, 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 would that, be is, zero. that is kind of well that is kind um, of who is incentivized to come here it's not well, the there's a lot of students right. coming there's a lot of like laborers coming and stuff i mean okay. i mean Maybe LA is different than New York, you know, but, you know, I, I just don't want to see, I I just want to see new people coming into the, I I think there is a, I think there is a, there is, in my opinion, a a true pro-immigrant stance that doesn't have any political viability because you're going to say things like, I want to see the face of this country change. I want to see less and less white people. Honestly, I'm sorry. I just think there's too many fucking white people. We're at 75%. That needs to go down. That's too many white people. Uh, <laughs> it, it is. It's not representative not of, the, of the planet. You know, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> people are a minority on this planet and they have hold far too much power in this country. And I don't think culturally we have been, it's been really beneficial. I think if you look around and you look at the way that we've, you know, built up our society. It's ugly. It sucks. Our food sucks. The landscape sucks. The cityscapes suck. The, the, the retail sucks. The culture sucks. The movies, everything sucks. And I think if you look around the globe, if you look outside of like the white parts of the globe, things are really interesting. Not totally like it's not always great, but there's a lot more stuff I think that's going on in the non-white world that I would like to see happening here in America. And so for me, you know, is there a pro-immigrant stance outside of these poli- like I guess what just what I'm trying to say is I do really do believe in immigra- immigration and I am pro-immigrant. I just don't think that the thankful immigrant identity is helpful in terms of 
thinking that we have a naturally safe space in American politics. Mm -hmm. I think that there are protections that that afforded us. I think the liberals did do immigrants a favor for a while there. But I think we have to, it's time to recognize how a lot of that was exploitative as well and kind of mind fucked us in a way to be these sort of like subservient, uh, scared, mm-hmm. childlike people. And, you know, we were, we were always obligated to like sacrifice our children, <laughs> you know, like right. not, not to say literally, but to, to, but to look at that story and be like, Oh wow. He made the ultimate sacrifice. You know, why, why should he? Yeah. And, and yeah. And I think it's important that, that people sort of, I think there's this liberal um, instinct to when, when you wor- use the word transactional, it's like, Oh, that's a bad word. Right. Immediately. That's like bad to, uh, to, to say anything was a transaction, but I think it's healthy to like try to fight against that and say, oh, yeah, well, you know, the immigration was transactional. Like you said, Jess, and that actually gives power and to then like fight against this instinct to be this grateful immigrant that always has to take, take everything that's thrown at you. Um, you know, yeah, I, so I think it's good to sort of get past that instinctual, like, Oh, transactional means it's bad. Like, no, I mean, it can give you power too. Well, I mean, just contrast how we uh, talk about uh, non-white immigration versus how we talk about like Irish immigration. I know I, I go on about Irish immigration a lot, <laughs> uh, I, I swear, it's 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 not just a quirk of mine. I think there there I I really do like base a lot of thinking on these contrasts here. Uh, like we're pretty straightforward about what drove immigration from Europe. Like really clear about that, right? You mean, mm-hmm. you mean the, the like, Irish famine? You mean the famine? Yeah, and immigration out of Germany, out of uh, out of Italy, right? We are uh, we are very clear about what drove that and who benefited. You know what the social circumstances, political circumstances were around that. And then just when you get to the, you know hop fifty years into the future and you talk about you know Asian and brown immigration, suddenly like there's an opaque layer. There's, there's a stifling on top of that. You can't talk about exactly why, but it's t- spoken of as an unquestioned good, right? The att- you know the, um, the mafia movies were interesting. Like all the stuff about like the Godfather and all that stuff, and like how they. They, yeah, they, they, they weren't really thankful immigrants in that sense. That I think they would play that part, but like you know the the Corleone family, and um, this how do I put this? Like this idea that especially if you if you're a citizen uh, in this country, like you're not really an immigrant anymore, in my opinion. No, yeah, like once yeah. once you've achieved citizenship, you're not really an immigrant, and. I feel like because immigrants don't have citizenship under this construction, they are at the mercy of the system of the of power to a much greater extent than citizens. This country is divided between citizens and non-citizens and non-citizens always face. They're always at the mercy. They like just, they don't have the full set of rights. And once you're a citizen, I think you've got to start seeing yourself a little bit as I'm not an immigrant. I'm not this a fucking not immigrant. And it's this unconditional. And I, I have full rights here. And that means I don't have to feel, I don't have to put on this act of feeling thankful. And I think the problem, I, the problem with the thankful immigrant narrative is not the fact that we're obligated. Well, it is, but it's not just that we're obligated to perform it, but that the mask becomes the person and we mm-hmm. start to yes. believe it. And we start to believe that this Amer- that America opened its doors to grant us access to its largesse and to 
you know, make allow us to make our dreams come true in this big, beautiful land. And I'm not saying that that's not true. I'm just saying that that's not at all close to what the reality of the transaction was, right? As just as put it, there is a transaction there and we have to keep up our end of the bargain. Immigrants have to keep up their end of the bargain big time. And when you get that, when you get those papers, when you get the citizenship, I think it's high time to drop the act because I don't see white people going around, you know, all the time feeling so thankful that they were allowed to leave Europe you know, uh, you know, I don't, it's, it's not something that you have to think about anymore. Like it's just, it, it was never the case anyway. Like I, I, yeah, that's, that's pretty weird. I think they need to get a grip on their own history too. Like, it's just like, you see Irish people and they're all like weeping over, you know, the Windsors and like, do you not know what they did to you? <laughs> yeah. Well, like, are you serious? Like, thing, yeah. Yeah, no, like I, 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 like I tried talking about it with them, and you know, it's it's just kind of jarring. Like I had to tell them, you know, about the <laughs> the, the history of you know, dude, that the Commonwealth <laughs> and the whole royal. Yeah, they're like, no, this there. is like, no, it's always been Great Britain. Like, no, bitch, it really was no. not. It really was not. I mean, you try calling a Scottish person, you could try calling a Scot English, and you see how fucked up you get. <laughs> um, and that's on the same island. And that's on the same island. Ireland was a whole separate deal. You guys got your asses colonized. There's no other way to put it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Welsh are also pretty. They, they they react the same way as the Scottish. Like they're just oh, like yeah. don't call us the English. Whole, like the whole, like you could do a whole like Great Britain is not a monolith, and you you you'd have a point. Um, yeah. Where am I going with this? Uh, let's see. What was we I going do, with? We, we, should, we, should, we should do our final because here's the thing. I think that. We've said a lot of things that I don't know if it adds up to anything simple to digest. I don't know if it, there's a simple conclusion to come out of this. So, just do you think is there to to summarize? I think I'm listening to, as a listener, hearing you say these things about liberals and their attitudes towards immigration, immigrants and our and and immigrant attitudes towards immigration and how there's a lot of misconceptions about it. What's the core here? What's the key takeaway uh, out of all of this? Do you think? Is there one? You're not, you're not here. Yeah. To me, it's, you're not here to support someone else's cause. You are here to support your cause. This is what, this is, you're not here. You're not more valid by, by, uh, you're not here to, you're not obligated to just be a tiebreaker for someone else's opinions or to support one side or another necessarily. Uh, First of all, the conditions under which we came to this country are far different than what we're at now. So what does it actually mean if you say, oh, we can't, like a Democrat voted for, you know, the Democrats got 1965 passed. Well, that doesn't have anything to bear on what the Democrats are like now. Right. So there's historicity that you need to keep in mind. Right. And you're speaking for yourself, not for anyone else. You're not obligated to speak up for anyone. Like there is a cause here that stands outside that. So if you just feel stifled or kind of guilty, just don't. I see a lot of guilt, um, like kind of like anxious, like anxious guilt about this. Like, I don't see any reason for that. Um, and I bring up my family history to illustrate that. So my parents immigrated here in 1978. Um 
And depending on how you tell the story, I think it actually encapsulates my point exactly. So they were recruited in South Korea. They went to Seoul University in Korea. They were recruited out of grad school by uh, by several schools in the United States, some Ivies. Uh, they settled on, on, U- on UCLA, for which I'm thankful for. Otherwise, I'd have grown up in Boston and fuck that noise. Um, but they selected U- UCLA. They won the bid, in other words. Uh, when they got here, they came here for their PhD. They were given they were given by like this this should seem astonishing um, and completely inexplicable if you're locked into the politics of today, right? When they got here, they each got a, a student stipend of several thousand dollars per month, subsidized housing in a housing market that currently that had at that time uh, rent for like a two bedroom apartment was like two hundred bucks, right? Full uh, full ride scholarship guaranteed job once they finished um expedited uh, expedited citizenship that whole that whole deal this was a really good bargain right you hear that first part of the story and you know then the story then it's easy to spin that and be like oh my god they were so generous right this country has been so amazing to me and my family right on the other hand, you look at you look at what the conditions were. UCLA was struggling to become uh, was not anywhere close to the university that it is today, right? It was uh, still part of the UC system, which at that point had been just barely fifty years out from being a public school system to educate the children of farmers, right? Not not a prestigious, uh, not yet a prestigious university system, right? Look where that shit is now, right? They'd paid their dues. They they. And it wasn't out of the kindness of UCLA's heart that my parents recruited. They were recruited to beef up their own their own uh, standing um, as a school and to inject that labor into the into the U.S. They were right? academic they had, free agents. Yes, they were. Um, so I mean, okay, it's analogy. like it, yeah, it, that's actually a pretty good analogy. Then right, like how grateful is LeBron supposed? To, I don't know who the big players. Are. I'm still just, I just know LeBron is a person. Um, I think he plays basketball yes he does (laughs) right like how grateful is he supposed to be that he 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 accepted a contract for x number of millions of dollars right like was that largesse extended to him or was this a business deal that's not he's actually not a bad uh person to pick because yes he was pilloried uh when he decided to go to miami and leave his hometown cleveland uh essentially you know he was he was praised by everyone in the NBA who wanted to see him play for a more glamorous team than the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, and so when he, quote, immigrated, when he left his hometown, everyone pilloried him for it. And said he should have offered his skills to the home team. You know? But that's how free agency uh, works yeah. in, in, in sports, right? You're yeah. injecting very quickly talent to hopefully increase the wins on your team, right? And that's sort of what UCLA, UCLA was doing was instead of like, waiting for the long road of developing in-house talent or doing it themselves. They're like, well, you know, we have these Koreans that know what to do. So we're going to pay them to come here. And it's cheaper for everybody. It's cheaper for UCLA. Right. In the long run. Yeah. I mean, this is a fantastic, like, but yeah. So, but if you hear one side of that story, right. Then it's, that supports the grateful immigrant narrative. You'd zoom that out. And then all of a sudden it just, it kind of snaps into place. Um, exactly what the transaction was. So what is, so, and I'm not my parents, right? I am second generation. I was born here. Um, like what, what, why do I need to feel exactly held back? Or like my, my ability to be here is conditional on anything. It's not. Um, 
it's really nuts. I can say like if I say or think something, um, I'm I'm speaking on behalf of myself. This is my home, mm-hmm. for better or worse. So um, I'm not I'm not like did you guys you guys caught the Ronnie Chang special? Yeah, I didn't watch it yet. No, not yet. I, I, saw, I saw it. Yeah, it was hilarious. But I mean, one one uh, one bit that he does is uh, uh, I, 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 I like the bit. Um, but you could definitely be a, a starter for some conversation where he talks about we need more Asians up in this bitch because we're the referees because we don't care. Hmm. Can you remember that? Uh, it's like I, yeah, I do remember we can, that. We can, yeah, we can be the referees between uh, you know because we just don't fucking care. Um, hmm. Like I see where he's coming from, but also B I do care. Right? Yeah. Because yeah, I, but I didn't like that part I, I of his act. Care. I was like, yeah. I mean, I know he's trying to be funny and all. Like. Ronnie I mean, really I, doesn't like, understand America very well. That, that like is, he's that not. He's not. He is a that Singaporean. He's a fucking moron. Yeah, that Asians should be shooting for. We should be shooting to but, be the owners of the franchise or like the star player, not the. And I mean, we have a, we're sideline. stakeholders, right? <laughs> yeah, so we're yeah. not impartial. We're not impartial to this. We're not, and we're not here to just be to mediate between different groups. And I think a lot of uh, Asian Americans do yeah, fall that into weird. that trap. Yeah, yes. um, no, and they're like Wes, Wes Yang has talked about the idea that. Asians are the sort of every man because nobody cares about us. We don't have an identity. We're we're meeting, we're socially irrelevant. He's saying immaterial, and so we are the perfect referees because we don't bring any of ourselves into things because we don't have a self. Like, and eh, speak for yourself. I don't know, man. Yeah, exactly. Speak for yourself, <laughs> like, bro. Yeah, I know you're a weird dude, but yeah. don't implicate every Asian. You know, like so. so let's let's it. just cut the shit and like we are partisan in this. We course, we do have yeah. a stake in this game. So in that case, you know, then it's it behooves everyone to think more deeply about uh, like where was I? We are partisan, and so therefore, like we do bring issues of class in class into this. Right. And, you know, I see this in how Andrew Yang's campaign is p- playing out. Right. Um, that we only see it through like a race lens is uh, is one of the critical shortfalls and why we can't mm-hmm. explain so much of, you know, what seems to be contradictions between why the right wing rights ring is tends to be oddly pro labor and the liberals are, you know, happy voting for war. Right. Uh, and, and being, quote, pro immigrant. Uh, in a very lackluster way, um, like Tina, I don't know about your whole like demographic shift theory uh, as being part of like it's not necessary. It's not high on my list of being pro-immigrant. Uh, my concern is is my, the extent to which I am quote pro-immigrant. It would be to make sure that immigrants are treated well. Let's say the ones who get here. Um, and it's also a key component of my thinking to reduce. Uh, unfair conditions by which they are created <laughs> that's yeah I, I can i can that's about that's about what uh the extent of that i think i think that's actually a pretty good way to thread the needle which is to say yes i think we don't have to necessarily think that we're going back to the days of japanese internment and etc like that um and and that le- kind of liberalism don't forget that that was a liberal program people mm-hmm. um I think that it is a worthy check on the excesses of the abuse and exploitation of immigrant labor, as well as foreign labor, um, as well yeah. as 
our capital going into places like Latin America and Southeast Asia and South Asia um, and taking advantage of the people there, that labor protection, the more we extend it, the more I think immigrant and foreign labor actually doesn't hold a comparative advantage to the extent it had because mm-hmm. the reason foreign labor was so prized is because it didn't wasn't worthy of or or, qual- of protection, or right? eligible for protection. Yeah. And yeah. so if we say we want to extend more protection to say you know migrant workers that come here if we want to if we want to have say equal pay laws for the H1B which I used to be very against but now I'm thinking wait why not you know um if we oh, I have thoughts on H1Bs. You want to go there? We can go there because this is one of the things that's really shaking my ability to be nice to Andrew Yang here. Yeah, but uh, I think... Uh-huh. But continue, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that the more we push for the, you know, the protection and the better treatment of non-citizen labor and foreign labor, that that is pro-labor in the sense that it's going to put pressure um, it's gonna it's gonna put pressure, downward pressure on the number of them, right? It'll it will put downward pressure on the number of them for sure. And that's why I used to be against things like equal pay for H1Bs. Mm-hmm. Um, because I thought, well, the whole point of this is a sort of protectionism. The whole point of this is to limit the number of people that can come in from China and India, etc. But now I'm thinking uh maybe we need to actually start paying more attention to those kinds of things because it's like I don't think people that come here on H1B right now are really happy. I think no, it's not. It's a hugely exploitative system. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they know what they're getting themselves into a lot of times. And then once they're here, they're captive. So I I don't know why I would want to support the whole program. And I think the idea that, you know, we as immigrants should always want more immigrants is needs to be questioned under like what certain, what are they, what are they coming into? I totally agree with that. Cause I think, and this this fits in with what you were saying, Jess, about um, decreasing the conditions that the U.S. and other nations have put out in the world through, you know, just meddling, right, and wars and every and violence to create sort of this pool of ready victims for exploitation. Is if you start protecting their rights, then you know they're not gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be as expensive um, as as domestic labor. And they'll be treated better. And it's actually more pro-labor to make sure they're treated better. Um, even if the number of immigrants goes down, I don't see like a decrease in immigration numbers as being anti-immigrant. Um, so I think it's, it, it's maybe paradoxical, hard for people to understand that. But like, I feel like also well, like... We're going to have to confront it. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and, and to <laughs> sort of like inject maybe, uh, you know, like so like with adoption, people will... Um, Th- th- uh, people will be like, oh my God, the adoption numbers are, are going down. Like there just aren't as many international adoptees anymore. How That's awful. You know, the U.S. is, uh, you know, anti-adoption or something like that. And I'm like, no, it's a good sign that countries of, of the world can take care of their own people and that they're not yeah. exporting children um, around the world. Like that's a good thing. Um, and it's not anti, like it's not like anti-humanitarian to think that. It's like, if you think it's a bad thing, then you're showing that you're a little bit racist because you think that the other countries are less worthy or are worse for like children than, than the United States. Um, so it's, um, 
I think it's also, it, but in the, in the liberal paradigm that's been around, it's a little hard for people to understand um, that logic. 1965, what was going on? What was going on in 1965, right? Like why 1965 too? Why wasn't it 1955 or 1975, right? What was going think- on in the 1960s? After yeah, the well, heyday of the fifties, yeah, I mean, I, obviously, we were coming out of the we were post Korean War and we were entering into the Vietnam War. We were, uh, you know, heavily involved in interventions all across Asia. Yep, um, and we were in in pitched battle with the Soviet Union for a dominant position uh, in Asia, right? And so, I think the idea that we would open the doors to allow more Asian people to come into the United States, see what we were all about, educate them, send them back where, when necessary to take over the highest levels of government in their country, in our image, which is happening. I mean, if you look at like Taiwan just elected, re- re-elected Tsai Ing-wen as their president, she and the, and the president before her, Ma Ying-jeou, they were all educated in the United States. This has been going on for a long time. And I, 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 you know, I think that's why. I think you know, we saw ourselves as one of the nexus as the center, as the hopeful center of the universe in the future, uh, with Moscow being the other hopeful that we were going to, you know, beat out, which we did, and that we needed to open the door so that people could come here and see what we were about and get educated here. And at the same time, we would drain the, you know, we would attract the best and brightest from across the world uh, to come work here which is how we went to the moon, right? We, we, we brought Nazis over, <laughs> right? We, we brought the best and brightest Nazi over. And, yeah, we um, did. And the uh, Japanese too. Yeah. the Japanese. Yeah. Um, but then so look, that's, domestic, that's why we like, did it. Globally, that's why we did it. That's why we did it. It's not because... Domestically, what was going on? This is, yeah, this, th- this is explained... I mean, so when you're talking about like, why are the working class, you know, they're pro-labor, but racist. Think like, what was going on domestically? This was the liberalization of the, of the U.S. economy. Unions were weakening. Um, the protection, the federal protectionism that was going on, you know, post-war, the post-war protectionism of the economy was slipping. So this was like a win-win scenario that led up to what we have today. So there is no contradiction in how in how people think about this issue. It's just where you happen to fall uh, around where you, your where your family or your community happened to fall uh, in the shakeup of the 60s, 50s across the 50s to the 70s kind of leads directly to how we think about this shit today. Yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. Just to have brought this up because I think. Number one, it's like f- for Asian Americans, because like, we're an Asian American podcast, right, is like if you're listening to this, it's like. I think we personalize immigration issues too much and we don't allow ourselves to think of it in broader terms. And sometimes we think it's not important. Like immigration is a side issue. If you watch like political debates and stuff, it used to be immigration was sort of like, you know, like the third or fourth or fifth bullet point, you know, but like the big topics of the day were foreign policy questions or um, domestic policy questions. Immigration always seemed to be a sort of, sideshow you know like it was really kind of it was really about what what to do about all the illegals but i think it's important to understand that immigration is absolutely the an existential it's the question of america it's the question it's how america populated itself and it's how we continue to populate ourselves that you know 
we only grow because of immigration. If we didn't have immigration, the population would be shrinking like like that of a lot of other countries. I think the I think the birth rate is probably somewhere like below 2.1 or whatever the replacement rate is. I think we're barely at replacement level. Barely at replacement level. The barely. white population is dying fast. for white for white people. Yeah, for like imi- the white whites are seventy five percent. Whites yeah. are seventy five percent of the country. That's going to drop very very quickly. Yeah, if, if, if yeah, if so, were, yeah, if the borders were closed and it was just like birth rates, yeah, yeah, I mean it would fall fast. Yeah, and so it is. Abs- this is how the country renews its. So it's probably, in my feeling, is the most important and central political question of the day. And I think the country's coming around to understanding this, because if you noticed, immigration has been low-key the most important issue separating left and right. And it's yeah, also we're talking about coming the rising to, xenophobia. Yeah, this is this is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking uh, about. We're talking about the future of the country, and it's all couched in terms of immigration. Uh, who gets to be an American? Who gets to come mm-hmm. here? Mm-hmm. This is the like existential. It's it's so important, and I think it's time for us to kind of maybe unmoor a little from a, this fearful and thankful immigrant identity that so many I see so many Asian Americans, including myself, have taken in the past to say that what we really fear is the hostility and racism of the far right. Absolutely not advocating that people go embrace the far right in any means. I'm just saying that understanding that the absolute abject fear of them is what led us, I think, to be constantly co-opted and exploited by the liberal class to the point where they have us thanking them for us sacrificing our children to them. And so I think it's important for us to really understand that what the immigrants place in the society is and how that's going to be changing going forward. I don't think it's an easy thing to understand, but I, we should probably do a lot. I'm, I'm writing a piece on this. I think we should do more pods on this because it's the app, huge, huge topic that is really, I think, incumbent on immigrants themselves and their children to start to understand with their own eyes rather than have a political identity, which is just which side do I pick? Which side do I pick? Which side is less scary? We can't do. We can't continue on like that anymore. Yeah, I mean, we're not, and we're not blank slates picking a side. Like our presence here is is embedded into the fabric of labor and class relations post nineteen sixty five. Like, there's no way to avoid that. I don't know where this assumption that we're just kind of like free floating uh, independent agents are that various people give a shit about recruiting or not. Like, no, we're um, like 1965. This is post civil rights. Um, that whole movement. This is uh, this is the liberalization of the economy. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to say post civil rights as in we fixed the problems. I'm just saying post the civil rights movement, the liberalization of the U.S. economy. Our presence here is directly as a result um, of uh, the political landscape of the time, and has nothing to do with uh, like issues of morals i think immigration gets sidelined as an issue of like character or morality like how you stand on immigration is more a moral test than anything else uh and it exists outside your consideration of like of uh policy uh but i think it's actually like pretty fundamental to how we talk about it 
Uh, there's no right way to talk about it either, which just means that when you're when you have an opinion on this, it's not something you just impartially gleaned. It is very directly personal um, and embedded in this in this in this in the system here. Um, so I don't really I don't really have a call to action to people. It's just more like know the know know what's going on. Uh, yeah, because changes are coming. I mean, I I don't know if it's called action. So action's coming. Um, it's a call to the, think. I think it's a call uh, to think, and I think it's a call to you know. I I do think that the uh, I do think that the nature of American liberalism is changing, and that yes. the immigrants that that what I'm trying what you know going back to how I how we uh, going back to what kind of what I said at the beginning of the podcast was that. I really do think that the identity, the internalized identity of the thankful immigrant, if that's how you really feel about this country, you really do feel like you're thankful to the country at large for having let you in here and for having your parents that they thank the country for letting them contribute their labor and expertise to the country um, without much, without much in the way of return to say that the country's almost like a mother and 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 it loves us and we are thankful for its love i mean i think that's very easy to internalize human being it's very emotionally you know resonant with kind of how we are as people and i think that identity is going to have a harder and harder play it's going to be harder to fit into the coming changes in the political landscape in America, because I don't think that there's going to be a natural ally for the thankful immigrant in the future. That, that, that's where I'm getting. There's never been. Except for, I think those who wanted to exploit us. I think there always has been the, the the sort of corporate Right. sector that that I guess you that, can call that an ally <laughs> i mean right so it's a weird that's what i'm saying it's a, yeah. it's a weird ally right? but it's not really yeah but yeah. i guess someone who had who had a vested in i mean i don't look i mean my parents had a really nice life and they weren't it's hard to say that they were abused by their employer they weren't I think that they've, they're collecting a nice pension. They were always paid fairly for their work. Um, they weren't abused, but you know, it, uh, it, it's t- the, the degree to which that they, they were exploited for their labor, I don't think is so, was not a day to day kind of suffering. But what I'm saying is that, you know, at large, they were here to help the country. And it wasn't that the country just decided to help them, right? And so I don't think my parents necessarily feel any obligation to be thankful immigrants. They know that they spent their life, you know, doing things for America and not always good things, right? Like helping it do the things that um, got us to kind of where we are today, where the government surveils on you and the CIA is, uh, I mean, they all worked in intelligence and stuff and in the government, like, I guess what I'm saying is that there is much a part of the landscape of American fuckery as anyone else. And so I don't yes. see why they have to be any more thankful and less critical than their white neighbors that were up to the same thing. Yeah. I, I, there's no reason I, I guess, to be thankful. I guess I, I would like people to feel more disgust at displays of grateful brown immigrants 
uh, weeping about their gratitude at being accepted into the United States, especially on the liberal. I mean, this is a liberal trope, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I think our experience as Asian Americans is one thing. Huge classes of uh, brown immigrants um, who are exploited heavily, and they are the face of the grateful immigrant now, I think. Um, and as far as, uh, and that it should, it should create more disgust. I think it's a horrifically hypocritical and, uh, and not, exploitative not display. Though. I no, mean, no, no, not no, at no, Kizir dis- Khan, but like, no, 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 no the, not at him at the display of, at the politic, at the politically expedient yeah, the use, use of, him. of such yeah. a, such yeah. a display. Um, yeah. not, not yeah. him. I'm talking about the political and ideological machinery that leads to, um, the, you know, the, uh, he, right. We understand what's going on when we see right, that kind right. of display. That's what I'm. That's what I'm right. saying. And it should yeah, raise a few more questions. Right, because I don't think Kazir Khan himself was that cynical. I think he was very no. genuine. Right. Yes. It was. A, it was a genuine display. And, and th- right. But I think what you're saying is that it's the DNC machinery, the liberal machinery, and the people in power that were very cynical about it. You know, they knew what they were doing. Yes, and also a recognition that. Um, we need to just be a little bit more honest about class, I think. So when we talk about liking or disliking, say, like an Andrew Yang character, right? Um, we don't. T- we talk a lot about his race. We talk a lot about you know policies outside. We don't. We're not really talking about uh, class issue issues of class and how that inf- inflects on politics. Um, his policies are great for people like me, uh, but. Uh, in terms of maximizing on certain conditions now. Um, but I have to recognize, especially, you know, in reading about his uh, stance on H-1Bs, immigration, uh, he's very carefully exploiting that grateful immigrant narrative to hide a very, uh, to cover for a very, uh, a potentially exploitative ag- labor agenda. Yeah, uh, and I, I would also I, like be honest, people I to- think a lot of his Asian supporters um, who I don't blame, like, it's not like I, I can understand why it's exciting to have an Asian guy get traction like the way Andrew Yang has. But I think a lot of his supporters are operating from the base of fear and that Yang gives them hope that Asian people are not actually hated in this country, that we're that we're liked that white people can like us, that they will listen to us, they will respect us, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, That's never been in question for me. So, I mean, I, on the on the balance, I, 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 I like that he's running. I like many of his, his, uh, his policies. Uh, they are in line with my self-interest, uh, for one thing. I, I, um, I, I also don't think supporting someone for president ultimately means that you like that. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't understand. I, I think a white supremacist could support Yang. Uh, like yes. in, in all sincerity, and certainly and, some of them supported Obama too. So yeah, like um, I, I, I don't necessarily think that just saying I support an Asian guy for president means that you're like not right, racist. Not racist. Against, you know, some of my some of my favorite presidents are non-white. Uh, that's going to be a real thing someday. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, awesome. Uh, <laughs> but it's but like like for real. Like um, what was I what was I saying? Yeah, I, I I don't know. Just just about, think about the about class and race. And yeah, how and how they really how they inflect on these policies. Um, mm-hmm. like everyone who's, who's on about like Asians are not a monolith inevitably default to that sort of thinking. When we see like the next Asian face we see, we kind of inflect a monolithic thinking onto this person, right? 
Um, so no one's really exempt from from this lack of someone's. So everyone's kind of guilty of this lack of critique. Um, insofar as uh, Asians now have the steepest uh, income disparity or wealth gap of any racial group in America, this just means we face it the worst. We face it more. We might be facing it worse than white people, and that should be saying something. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, and we just, I, I, I feel like people need to really stop. I don't understand why uh, the Republicans are X, Y, and Z. Like, we just have to stop that. Like, you can understand it. You're just choosing not to. There are very real reasons um, for the things that they do, which also, and it shouldn't be considered pandering or sympathizing. It should be once you find out what it is, that means that's when you get the solution for it. We can um, fight against just, it, it better. Yeah, it's a it just shouldn't be like it's embarrassing to be here and see Democrats be like, I don't get why Republicans are so fucking stupid. Like, you have to stop that. You've had so I can, I can see I, I can see the legitimate like response to this podcast for people who have made it this far to be like, <laughs> uh, OK, so what are you saying exactly that I should be against immigration or I should be for like I can totally see that response and i think my response back would be hey i don't fucking know i i honestly don't know uh what the right answer here is all i know is that the current thinking that we have about immigration is incomplete and easily it has been easily exploited by people that we think have our best interests in mind but actually do not and that it is, if I'm reading Justice's uh, statements correctly, it's time we start realizing that you can't rely on side picking to protect yourself. Um, yeah. And you have to start seeing that it's a very, it's, it, the politics in America is not about right and wrong. The politics in America is a struggle for power between different factions and groups of people with self-interest. And the immigrant fits into that story, but in complicated ways. So uh, I just don't think there's an easy takeaway. And I think your response to this is, wait, so what are you trying to say? I mean, I think that that's part of looking for an easy answer. And I guess if anything is don't expect there to be an easy answer. Don't expect that there's a clear political identity for the immigrant to take. It's complicated. It's super complicated. And uh, I don't know what the right answer is. And I think it's highly dependent on the type of immigrant. I, you know, a, a low-wage, unskilled laborer has a very different set of interests than someone who comes here with a PhD. Uh, right? So it's complicated. And the fact that someone can go out and say, I'm pro-immigrants and stuff doesn't mean shit. It doesn't, that's a lie. It's a lie. That's, there's no such thing. And so that's it. I guess maybe that's the takeaway for me is like, I hope this has made the thing feel a lot more complicated and a lot less intelligible because the stories that we've been telling ourselves up to this point about the thankful immigrants, about the American dream, about the you know, land of opportunity, never, it's, it's not that simple and it's never been that simple. And uh, we, we got to just fight back against the tendency to of liberals to use that to flatten us and to flatten this image, not us. I, you know what? I don't want to say us anymore. 
to flatten immigration as a, as a concept, as a institution into something that is, you know, like immigrants are these sort of innocent children that we come here, that come here to be educated and, and, and taught as um, proper Americans. It's kind of what the story's been all along. And I, and I think we yeah, need to children that. is a good word for it because that implies something outside uh, out something out that exists slightly outside of full participation, right? Um, that our actions—it's strictly a matter. Yeah, it's strictly a matter of morality. Um, how you talk about us? It's not a matter of policy, politics, uh, econ- economics. Like, like we're somehow outside this. Um, and that that thinking just really has to change, given how critical uh, immigrant labor actually is. So it's not really the thing of it. It's the why of it to me. Um, like the slogan being pro-immigrant means nothing to me. Um, it's it's, you know, if you're seeing immigration come up in the news or as a talking point, then it's very critical to ask why it's being brought up. Is are we saying? Is this person advocating for pro-immigrant? Advocating for you know uh, higher immigration? And then you look a little, you you dig a little deeper, and it turns out that they're actually very anti uh, anti worker protections, anti labor in that case. Um, that gives you an answer on what this particular person is is actually intending immigration to be used as, right? So in the so it's it's a, these these. So I guess my point is that. Uh, when you see like a, a politician's, you know, uh, campaign page, and you see the bullet points, none of them are actually completely uh, separate from each other. They're all interlinked. Um, so if you look at the particular linkages or how this person is inv- encapsulating uh, the in- linkages between these, that 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 gives you a fuller picture uh, about what uh, what this what particular uh, plan, what the particular ideology is. It's not just oh he checked off a bunch of things that I like, so thumbs up on this. Guy. He's pro-immigrant. Great. Um, like it's not it's never as simple as that. And I, um, I think, yeah, I think that's a great and point. And so far as there's, you know, Sanders is now in the lead, right? For the Democrats. Uh, in Iowa, really, and I think leading nationally, Iowa? but it, it depends on who you it's ask. It's like a point because, or two, right? It's not really a clear cut lead, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but let's say, let's say he does take the lead, right? We got to start talking about what this, uh, what actually, what actually, uh, in that case, we need to start talking about what socialism is in this case. Like what leftism is under uh, under Sanders. Uh, I mean, I under, saw I saw those in APIs for Warren. I saw Ellen Powell retweeting that, and I saw Ellen Powell retweeting "Move On." You know, calling Bernie. You know, supporting misogyny, racism, xenophobia, and stuff. And at first, I was like, "Really? You're gonna like you're gonna retweet Move On, which is by the way is named after." Like let's let's uh, let's overlook you know Clinton's sexual misconduct. Right? Um, like you're going to retweet, move on, uh, accusing Bernie Sanders of being misogynist. But you know, I do think that it is worth noting that you know it doesn't really matter if you think Bernie is a misogynist or if Bernie is a racist because I don't think he is as a human being. He's definitely not. But that. There are going to be elements, key, core, key parts of the democratic socialist constituency 
that are xenophobic and racist and uh, that need to be appeased. Right. So I, I don't think it's totally without merit. Uh, this this concern that Bernie is a racist xenophobe, even when it's so clear that this you know old Jewish man from uh, Brooklyn is not. Um, it's not so simple. You know what I mean? It's not so simple. I mean, I still support Bernie, but I do think that people need to understand that the the things that made him unpalatable for a lot of people in 2015 that hasn't changed. In my opinion, um, there are some contradictions so, to this that mm-hmm. we've just haven't had as a group to confront quite yet. Uh, like I thought it was interesting. Um, uh, did you guys see the uh, the Uber dust up from a week or Wait, two ago about the um, with the service animals and, and disability mm-hmm. disabled people yeah. with Uber and and the yeah. drivers and yeah I, I I saw some of the beginning of it. Um, and it just got really bad. So, like, I guess I just didn't pay attention. But it, it's there is an issue there. There's an actual issue to talk about there. Um, past yeah, all the, um, past where all it's the, like, phrased. Well, I mean, I mean, it's an interesting like what did I uh, like? We don't even need to talk about what socialism is in this case, but it's more like what it's what it's seen as, right? How people are using it. Uh, and I think there's some dangerous elements there that people aren't incorrect to point out. Um, because there are some, there are some very stark realities we will need to discuss if we're talking about any implementation of system that resembles socialism, that are kind of inimical to the standard milk toast uh, liberal agenda. Um, for anyone, for the three people out there probably who have not heard of this, um, what happened was it's a a disabled, a young disabled woman. Um, uh, who is Jewish, and this sadly turns relevant later, uh, with a disability. So she has a she has a wheelchair and a service animal. Uh, was uh, documented on Twitter that uh, for that this has been an ongoing frustration that she could not hail a ride on these uh, these rideshare applications, the Uber and Lyft, I believe. Um, just and rec- finally, at, at some point, she recorded an interaction with one particular driver who uh, refused to accept her. Um, uh, and just drove off. And she, uh, she, so she put it on Twitter. She had some, uh, she had some follow, she had a bit of a following um, and it got amplified. It made it to Uber. Uber fired the driver. And this started a huge dog pile of, uh, of abuse and harassment. But with the, but the, but what was fascinating is that there was a leftist twist to this where it was, where it was, uh, it was nominally leftist, but people with like like pro labor, like communist or socialist um, tags in their bios, right, and in you know in their time timelines, um, ragging on her for being uh, for being anti anti working class, right? Uh, to come out and to be like you 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 doxed this person, this working class guy trying to scrape together a living under a brutalist under a brutal capitalist system, and you got his ass fired. Um, like how fucking dare you? Um, and it was a really interesting, uh, like you see the people, like there were actually like intelligent people, uh, trying to make a case for why, um, uh, for why being pro working class would actually have to mean being anti disability, anti accessibility, uh, anti a whole range of things. Um, so there is like, if you take it that far, like that actually is real. 
Um, as much as some people like to see like socialism versus capitalism and socialism is good, capitalism is bad, it really does not work out that way. Um, and I think this example encapsulated the problem with that quite neatly uh, and and awfully for this for this person, for other uh, for other disabled people who, who hopped on to lend support and share their own stories. They also got hit with that the that uh, that wave of abuse, too, by leftists, by no, pro labor people who are talking about how it's an onerous onerous it's government overstep and oppression for the ada to have to be enforced even by you know small mom and pop shops um you know uh and strangely like uber received relatively little uh criticism for this it it was largely on it largely fell on the head of this uh this disabled woman and of course you know they brought out brought out leftist anti-Semites, which is just incredible to me, but saying like, you know, this Jewish, rich, you know, bourgeoisie uh, chick who has a Patreon, oh my God, um, you know, used the hand of the law to crush this working class person. Um, And if we're going to be pro-working class, then we have to make it pro, you know, accessibility should be for the working class to not have to go out of their way to provide accessibility. The opposing side of that is, I mean, I don't know the race of the driver, but you know, most drivers yeah. in, the, in this area brown. are like yeah, South uh, Asian, yeah. South Asian. Sure that's yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think the opposite tendency is to say like, you know, this is, this is why we can't have a bunch of Abduls driving around. They do, they don't, they don't have any respect for, uh, you know, the way things work over here. Right. Yeah. Uh, you, oh, you should have seen the defense for that guy too. Yeah. You should yeah. see the the defense for that guy too. Oh, he's probably a new immigrant. He doesn't know. He he can't read. He's too dumb to know that we have <laughs> we have this shit going on in, in America. He doesn't know about the ADA. How would you expect a, an immigrant to know about this shit? Like he probably is not. You know, he just doesn't know. He's too dumb. Plus, he's from a backwards culture that doesn't respect disabled people anyway. So why the fuck would you expect? And it's like, wow. Okay, I uh, <laughs> this uh, this is just. Wow, cool. And this I, is, I think the and lesson as, for I think the lesson for me here is that um look, with politics, there's no fucking perfect answer. You're choosing between factions, you're choosing between factions that are self-interested. So there you know, I don't think any one side is ever going to have um you know, a monopoly on the truth. But that doesn't mean that you should be apolitical. I think it it does we do need to get to that point where we have to start realizing like We've got to make our choices too. Like we've got to choose which which of these sides we're on, without sitting back and taking that p- perspective of like, well, they're all wrong. Fuck them all. Politics right, is shit. Right, all politicians right. are garbage. Well, you know, it's not like we don't have our self interest. It's not like we don't have our own biases, and that's what politics is. You know? And and I think maybe that's maybe that's the um, the sort of step we have to take is actually to say. No, we, we, we can't. We got to stop waiting for the perfect liberal to come around. Like we got we got to stop waiting for the perfect liberal who understands everything and says every right thing, does every right thing or whatever. And I think that the modern liberal got pretty close to that act, that persona. And we got pretty close to buy. I think Obama came very close to that. Uh, well, I, mean, I would say that that's the opposite of liberalism. Act. Under uh, not, not in a modern definition of it, you know, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. But no, that is kind of what mainstream liberals became. Yes, and, uh, it became a kind of cult of personality as well. 
And there's there's I mean you see these schisms happening now, right? Between you know Bernie stands, Warren stands, etc. And they're all arguing over these rel- these small portions of uh, these these uh, problems with each of these. Um, this is actually lib- like technically lib- this is liberalism working correctly. There shouldn't be a cult of personality in a proper implementation of liberalism. This is what makes it weak uh, against. So Bernie has a cult of personality around. For sure. It's growing. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, uh, and it's not, which, which is okay. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not totally against. Yeah. Leader, but. Like they cannot, like they're, if you want to be like, if you want to actually stick to like the tenets of liberalism, which I don't think anyone actually is, you shouldn't be able to have a, uh, you can't have an all unifying, uh, liberal spearhead figure. You can't. Yeah. By the way, fuck, 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 fuck Jeff Yang and his whole AAPIs for Warren thing. I'm not saying don't vote for and I'm not saying Asians that she's somehow bad for Asians, but like I am saying that the idea that Jeff Yang and his like black book of like people that he networks with is allowed to go and say AAPIs back Warren because she's the best candidate for AAPIs that can go fucking just 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 fuck it with that shit. I mean, like, he showed his hand too. Yeah, he, he he spun a whole bunch of fluff, and then and then it came came out with it at the very end by saying, "Oh yeah, and it's really important to us that she actually hired a bunch of uh, exactly. Asians at high levels yeah. in her campaign." So yeah. this is it, it was all about interest. Yeah, it was all about like we're them. gonna we're gonna get high, we're gonna get positions within the the Warren, uh, you know, thing. and they, you know they always justify. See, this is the thing. This is the thankful immigrant. It's like we are going to be counted and heard and respected and and he, he they he actually said in the endorsement that he has um warren's daughter married an indian immigrant and they had three children and that that means that she has a personal stake in protecting asian american immigrants and i'm like mitch jeff sessions yeah mitch yeah, McConnell. Right. yeah mitch McConnell. <laughs> jeff sessions yeah. has yeah. a chinese son-in-law and he has a, his baby is like 110% Chinese. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. don't, don't, I don't know where the fuck that came from or how you even remotely think that that's an appropriate argument to make. But, you know, we honestly, and I hate to say it, Asian Americans are, that's how we think, you know, like we get excited when like we see an Asian face, even if it's at the Jeff Sessions, you know, <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner, dinner table or whatever. Like, we like we we got to do better than this and the fact that 140 people you know can sign a thing and say like a warren is the best candidate for aapis because she has an indian son-in-law is like what the fuck are you talking about i saw a few people come out against it i saw if, I, saw, if I were on that list right yeah. of that 140 people and i and i saw jeff yang posit that reason i'd be a pit i'd be pissed off because i'm like I'm sure there are no, some people on that list. No, he did. Oh, he I know did he did. S- s- state that reason. Oh, I know. I, mean, I said if I saw him do that after like, I put my name on the list, they tweet oh, yeah, out no. this endorsement, I'd be pissed off. Because it'd be like, why are you making this stupid argument? I'm, I'm sure that they've had discussions about actual no, reasons I, to support her. I bet you. No, I think the 140 people on that list. Yeah, I think the 140 people on that list, they're all like, you know, 
academics? Are they all like in media or business? In fact, I think he said like 140 AAPIs in the creative industries and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, they're all leaders professors. Of, leaders. Uh, leaders of, of, like they're I mean, all I'm being too generous. They're, they're all happen. associated with a top-notch university or whatever. And I think those people get excited by stuff like this. They're like, oh, my God, Roger Chow. I didn't know that she had a uh, Chinese-American campaign stra- uh, campaign manager or whatever. And they get excited by the, oh, maybe she really does like Asian people. I'm like, okay, maybe at a personal level she does. But I really don't think that this is an appropriate basis to go out and say, like, AAPIs endorse Warren. Like... Get the fuck out of here with that. Like, that was fucking bullshit nonsense. It was really gross. I, I It was really gross. One of the grossest but, things I've seen. It's a class interest, right? You were going to say, Jess? That, yeah, like, I mean, and that's, this is actually legitimate. I'm not, like, I mean, when sure. you usually hear, like, oh, this is just class solidarity at work. Like, I'm saying, like, that actually is a valid interest, right? Um, I think one of the more damaging uh, tenets of liberalism is this is this perception that, like, it's more noble to be voting outside your interest than for it. Um, and this is, again, with a really shallow conception of what self-interest actually means. I, I, I if think, you think, I think deeply about it. The uh, way I think about it. Much, mm-hmm. no, sorry, the way I think about it is, Mark, you know, what Mark Fisher wrote. He said, I think this is in the, the, the is exiting the vampire castle. He was like. The lower we talk about class solidarity among the working classes, but there is none. And we never talk about class solid. In fact, we talk about class traitorship of the elites. But but in practice, they have a ton of class solidarity. Right. So it's always lips are it's always the opposite of what we say. And the elites always have class interests that they act upon, but they never say it. They never they always pretend that they're, you know, working on behalf of other people and that, you know, there is working class solidarity in the working class. Uh, we advocate for it, but in practice, not really, not and not yeah. at all. In fact, we we undermine it, and I think that's what's going on with this whole Jeff Yang thing. It's like, oh yeah, you know, as a Asian American working class would benefit from there being a lot of influential Asian Americans within a Warren administration. Sure, like no, no, they're not. They didn't, you know, no, like Asian Americans that were like from you know brown skin asian americans did not fucking benefit from having john yu in the fucking bush junior you know the bush junior administration asian americans sure as hell aren't benefiting from elaine chow being in the trump administration like i don't think asian americans benefited from gary Locke being the ambassador to china under obama like i i, I just don't think that uh it's not not it, i just don't think that that's like a proper way to analyze stuff you know. I, I will say one case where where it did. I I, I will say it worked out pretty well, uh, and significantly with respect to U.S. Uh, po- policy is um, the few judges that Obama had had appointed who yes. uh, were critical uh, when the uh, imi- what was it the travel ban in the yes. tra- when yes. the travel yeah. ban was instituted. That's, that's fair. That's so, fair. But like, but this just means that it's not. It but I hope. But, but here's the thing: way. it can go. Yeah, yes, of course, it goes really either way. Yeah, it yeah. goes either way. Asian That's right. mean, yeah, he appointed good judges that happen to be right. Asian. Right. Yeah. Um, so but, it's not. But, but we, so we need to talk about no. the nature of those judges. We can't just be like, "Oh, she has an Indian son-in-law. She cares." Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I'm mean, like, okay, what's what's he like? What, what's going on with him? Like, what's what's he do? <laughs> you know. Yeah, and it's just uh, like like, and as I, I think I tweeted in response to you, 
2018 because uh, you made the point about you know Jeff Sessions and um, you know and, and that thing in response to Jeff and I was like for adoptees who are you know Asian and 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 brown and other adoptees that uh, have been you know raised by white people there we very much know that just being in the family <laughs> doesn't mean that they're not going to be racist assholes yeah well so didn't like, John McCain have a have yeah. a have a- Adopted yes, his wife uh, daughter has, from like Sri Lanka or something. Yes, his his yeah. wife and his family have adopted many people, um, as white rich people are wont to do. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're an awful, awful family. Well, he hates uh, the Greeks. I mean, that's it's it's like yeah. almost. I think it's engraved on his uh, tomb. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, uh, and, and fuck, the those, <laughs> fuck those gooks. Um, yeah. And I think he's just angry because they shot his ass and made him look like an idiot, and you know tortured him for a couple of years. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's probably why. I I'm hate like, them. Okay. Like, I'm like, good. Good for you. I Bro, you were, he was dropping bombs on their heads. I yeah, mean, I was like, uh, yeah. yeah, they probably hated be you because... they didn't just kill him on sight. You know what I mean? Yes. Fuck that's him. what he doesn't realize is that they didn't kill him. as a yeah. son of an admiral. And that actually saved his ass. Uh, yeah. so I, I mean, it's, it's like, okay. Like that generation is on its way out. Yeah. Uh, right, Thank like God. there are. I don't are, think the one that's taking its place is much better, though. But whatever. Yeah, it's just it's it's time to just start thinking way way freaking harder. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just freaking. And I will have it noted. Last time around, I voted third party, and I am now accepting apologies from everyone who gave me <laughs> shit for it in Who'd 2016. You, did you vote for Stein? No, she's an eco-fascist. Okay, and a Russian spy, apparently, That's like for real. True. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, look, who was that other guy? Huh? Did Gary you Johnson, in? libertarians. No. Okay, Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Not the, it's not love for Gary. Gary Johnson no. is like the beige of politics, right? Like I don't. It's just <laughs> like like. I just don't like that we have Democrats and Republicans, and that's just yes. fucking it. Yeah, no, I'm I voting totally for agree. Bernie for one reason. And one yeah. reason only. I, I just want to see someone try and get Medicare for all done. I, I just don't think it can be done. I just want to see Americans come to terms with the fact that we are not allowed to have nice things no matter what. You could, you, you could have vote for a president who runs on the idea of getting nice things and you still won't get them. We, we're not allowed. The country is not allowed to do it. Um, and uh, I think we're going to come at least start to investigate the question of why we can't have nice things. <laughs> But I, I support Bernie Sanders so that we cannot get Medicare. For, that's why I support. I, mean, I think maybe we should talk about like who we personally stand for. Yeah, uh, that should be another uh, another episode. I think we're at two hours uh, now. I'm a Bernie person. I think that's pretty you, much. Okay. Joe Rogan put, puts out three hour plus pods and look where he is. We can, we can do it too. <laughs> we're just going to have an hour of dead space here. Just a beef or just a juice. That's or right. That's right. Right. I'll just edit it. Like, so- you know what? You're right. Like he just goes on and on and on. Yeah, we should do. You know we what, should, like, uh, mm-hmm. In terms of and over time, like that actually adds up. Um, mm-hmm. Like if you actually sit there and listen to you know these really long conversations uh, over time, like you actually do get a fuller sense of. I, I understand his popularity, and I think he is relatively misunderstood. Um, yeah, I don't have a problem with pothead. Joe Rogan. He's you know, a professional I mean, pothead. Yeah, it's funny that the host like, of that's literally it. That's like literally it. He's very um, chill. Yeah. He's a chill human being because he's a white dude. He has money. He's famous, and um, people love him. He's chill. He doesn't really hate people. He's not a hateful guy. But in his white dude chillness, he will 
basically accept anyone. He'll talk to anyone. He doesn't really see a problem with talking to, you know, really fucked up shitty people like Stefan Molyneux. Okay. And so that's who he is. And people are like, he's evil because of that. I'm like, no, he's a chill white dude. He's, he's so representative of like actual white American people. You know what? Actual young ish men in America, regardless of race. I think he's so representative of. I mean, there's a fascination to it that I actually appreciate because then he is now like the, the, like given like, he's just the neutral party in this case, right? Since it's his, it's his shit. So when he brings people on, you know, these people who come from different, who represent some extremes of, of opinion, in other places you can kind of calibrate what the actual distance is between you know uh what at least joe rogan and what this guy is uh, is about and depending on where you stand with this one person you can kind of by proxy you know echolocate uh roughly like triangulate some uh some full opinion of what this other person is about um, I don't. I don't like the claim that he's giving a platform to dangerous people and allowing them to state the opinions that Joe Rogan doesn't secretly espouses. I think that's a shallow argument. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't think that. I don't think Joe Rogan but, would ever agree to something he like, doesn't I, agree with. Like he just. But won't I, let that I listen. I will. Ta- I will listen to those. Like, look, I'd rather he's out there talking to these people than me because I still have questions for these people. But I'm not. <laughs> I'm sure. not gonna be like, Yo, Stephen. Uh, so, what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, he, he's also he's also done a good job of adopting all of the audience, meaning like I think he Joe Rogan has consolidated his platform by allowing these people to go on his podcast, and Rogan is actually really good at containing them in a weird way. Like, did yes. you see Elon Musk go and make a fool out of himself on the Joe Rogan podcast and reveal himself to be, you know, super insecure? Uh, like really not cool at all. Um, yeah. And Rogan sort of does this, got in his head a little bit. And I think that Rogan has often used this tactic of bring, bringing people onto his show to sort of co-op them. And he does, he's very good. Do you know at what that. I mean? Yeah. He's he good at co-opting he's, them and therefore winning his audience over. And he pushes back. Like, it's not like he just mm-hmm. sits there and lets them spew shit. He, he will challenge them and he'll, you know, and he makes mistakes. It's not like he knows everything like always, but he will, he, he pushes back on all these people. It's not, he doesn't just let them talk for two hours. So, yeah. You know. yeah and I think he's, cons- I think what he's done is he's gone out and he's consolidated a big audience from a lot of people, a lot of different people, some, some good, many, many bad. Uh, and I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. If, um, you know, he decides to say like back Bernie, uh, and you know, rather than the far right, mm-hmm. and I think that yeah. the people on, on mm-hmm. the, the liberals are just complaining. It's an underappreciated he, point. He's actually been there with people on that side. He's listened to them talk, and then he comes and he's he's heard them all talk. And this is this is the guy who's actually done more to talk to more a bigger range of people than that's right. The vast majority of any of us ever will. So that that should say something. Yeah, and I think part of it is, you know, and and this is kind of like I think a a, a contradiction within the liberal side that that needs to be thought about a little bit more is like you know, when Biden is leading or when Warren is leading, they all start making this argument ability. Like we need to get a person who's not too left-wing to actually win. 
electability is all that matters because beating Trump is all that matters. Mm-hmm. And then when Rogan is like, I'm going to take my massive platform and say, endorse Bernie with it. And I'm not going to listen. I'm not even going to allow Biden or onto the podcast. I'm not going to give them the platform. You know, I think what he's saying is like, look, I don't think that either of them are electable. I don't think that people who listen to this show are actually going to go vote for Biden or Warren. Uh, he's like, they're only going to mm-hmm. vote for someone like Bernie. And that makes suddenly then he's, uh, you know, a misogynist or a racist. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe. But you know what? If you want to peel off votes from the right, like if the Democratic Party has agreed that beating Trump is the only thing that matters, well, guess what? You're going to have to you're going to have to pander to the racist, misogynistic crowd that voted for Trump before or abstained from voting for Hillary Clinton because she's a woman. If that's how you want to run your campaign, if all you care about is beating Trump, then, yeah, you're going to have to accept a little bit of racism and misogyny. Deal with it. You know what I mean? Like you can't suddenly say like now that I don't like, you know, he's supporting the candidate that I don't like that suddenly racism and misogyny are a problem. You know, because Biden, you know, they're all about going out and making being apologetic to 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 uh, Midwestern racism and uh, turning everything into an economic argument. And fucking Andrew Yang does the same shit all the time, making excuses for racism, making excuses for misogyny. This only problem is that when it's not their candidate, suddenly that candidate that they don't like is too racist and misogynist to properly represent the Democratic Party. I'm like, give me a fucking break, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he's just back the person they don't, they don't like. That's all, you know? I, the idea that Bernie himself is racist and misogynist any more so than uh, Biden. And to be frank, Warren is pretty fucking questionable on race, if you ask me. Um, it's just, look, it's just not your candidate. Like... You know, if it's if they don't support the person you want, then suddenly there are racist and misogynist. What what are you? <laughs> like what's Biden? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like come on. Yeah. Anyway, um, I don't know if this has helped any listener whatsoever. <laughs> uh, it has helped me, and uh, I. So yeah, so I'd say it's helped me because now you know there are a lot of things to think about that I necessarily I wouldn't necessarily. Um, not that I agree with everything that anyone has said, but I think it's important that I'm thinking about it because before I wasn't, or I wasn't as, as deeply. Uh, so I think that is helpful. Being helpful doesn't mean that you get an answer at the end every time. You know? Oh so, yeah. Yeah. That, I think I, that's I, like, like you were saying earlier, like someone might listen to this and be like, okay, so what are you saying? Well, like what we're saying is it's complicated. <laughs> Uh, and not, you know, to be flip about it, but that there are a lot of angles to these, to these issues. And, and I think Jess, you made a really good point, uh, about an hour ago that, um, when you we'll go to the website, good points for two hours, I've been oh, making oh, good yes. points for two hours. Yes, you have. That's, I'm not saying that you haven't All been right. doing that, but you, this particular point you made like an hour ago. <laughs> um, but when you're saying when you go to like the the people you know the candidates websites and you see the bullet points of their you know platform planks and everything they're not they're not separate from one another they're all connected and you need to look for the connections between all of these um policy points or like the goals of what they want to do and then 
really think about what those mean and what the impact of those things are going to be. So, you know, and then think about, well, does that fit into what I want to have happen? And then sometimes you're going to come up to, you're going to come to conclusions that don't, that, you know, you don't agree with or you don't uh, like, but then that's just a starting point for like, well, okay, examining your, your, your sort of, you know, what your beliefs are and what you actually care about. Um, because yeah, think, and what your in, and what your interests are, you know, right, I think, and what your interests yeah. are, right? Because, just because we're Asian and just because, like, you know, we live in America, does not mean we have the same interests, right? Exactly. Fact, we could have very opposing interests, exactly. You know? And you know, it, it you it, there isn't, um, and and I fall into this where like I I will think that there's like a perfect utopian answer to something where no one's gonna have to sacrifice or that everyone is gonna be is going to benefit. And I, I, I don't think that's true. Um, and sometimes it's hard to like realize that, yes, if you're going to have Medicare for all, then we're really going to have to think about who is the all that we're talking about. And just what, if you, and just coming to the conclusion that it's not going to be everybody um, doesn't mean that you're an awful, amoral person. Uh, and I, I think that, to say that like this, hopefully this podcast makes people think about things is, is a good thing. That is a good thing that happens out of it. Yes. And you can apologize uh, for giving me shit over not voting for Clinton. <laughs> you know what? I, I hope that, yes, you're, you were right. Not, not you. I'm, I'm, I'm just no, putting it out there. Feel, feel free to apologize <laughs> to me. I, yeah. I still stand. I still stand by my Reddit, my, my, my uh, suspicions about Bernie. Back in 2015, I still suspect the Bernie Bros. I don't trust them. I don't trust. Uh, I don't trust his movement. I don't trust the 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 you know the grandstanding of the Democratic Socialist Left as if they uh, one are going to get anything done. I don't think they're going to get anything done. Uh, and yes. two, that they don't have some raging fucking racists and xenophobes in their ranks. Yeah. But this time around, I think we kind of need the hardest left candidate to win because the center, like the center gave way with Hillary's loss. I think we saw a truth that like Humpty Dumpty ain't going to get put back together again. And now we've got to make choices. We either really pivot to the hard left or we surrender more ground to the hard right as we play appeasement, you know, Chamberlain style appeasement. Uh, And like, there's not, it's not a comfortable choice. Like neither choice for the immigrant is going to be a good choice. And I know there's a desperate need to cling to the middle, but there's no middle to cling to. There is no middle. There possibly never was. I think the the illusion of the middle led to what we have right now. Um, No, you know, a mass illusion adds up own kind of and yeah. there was an ideological middle ground, I think. But it's about, uh, it's about not being honest about what you prioritize and what you're willing to sacrifice in order to get what, you, what your priorities are past. I mean, this we, is the we, class analysis that we're, that we're lacking here. Yeah, but I think we did enter some kind of trade where we were willing to uphold our end of the bargain, which was to constantly support these sort of oh, centrist you're liberals. Talking about, okay. You know what all I right, mean? Like, all right, I see what you're We mean. had yeah. agreed to this bargain, is, 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 it was my take in 2015 was like there's a bargain here being made. is like you know we support people like clinton and in exchange we get some kind of protection against the kind of trumps and you know whatever and they can't even offer that anymore they can't yeah. protect us is the you know that's the lesson from 2016 
they're not around. They're not capable of winning office anymore. Right. So and, and, you, yeah. you can run Biden, you know, you can run Kamala. Oh, she can't because she dropped out. You know, you can you can try a Warren, but, you know, I don't think it's going to work. And uh, that's the problem now is there's no middle opponent that the uh, middle candidate that's going to beat Trump for you. And uh, wanting things to go back the way they were ain't going to work. It's never worked. Uh, we're going somewhere totally different. And it's, I think this year is going to be very decisive in terms of where that's going to be, but I don't think signs are looking good. You know, I think it looks like Trump is going to win again. Uh, I don't think that there's as much enthusiasm for the, for the left as people think there is. Uh, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, and all right. That was a depressing I, end. Well, so just, I, I want to yeah. make sure that I just want to get this. Yeah. Um, that, uh, you know, I was talking earlier uh, about, you know, sort of transracial adoptees and the because we were talking about the scare for, you know, a deportation and people saying, just go back home. And I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I'm not making light of adoptees who've been deported. And because um, I know it's very dangerous for them, um, you know, not 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 necessarily physically because of outside harm, um, but, you know, mentally. And people have committed suicide and have died. So I want to make sure that, you know, I, I'm not saying that it's, I don't want to flippantly say that, like, oh, we should just not care about that or care about the, the fear of, of being deported. Um, it's a different animal when it comes to immigrants who are adopted. Um, so I just want to make that clear because I, you know, I know some adoptees watch, uh, listen to this and, um, you know, I, I want to make that clear. Sounds good. All right. Uh, Shall we call it uh, a wrap? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thanks, y'all.